I could really use a change of scenery. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the greenery. Yeah. Close the match cause they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly, I'm still fly, I know. I'm still fly, I'm still fly, let's go. It could all be worse, I could be a hater like you. It could all be worse. Close to make the man, but that poison's gonna kill you. Now say it with your chest I'm now Film? No, that's fine. I'm gonna put a camera here. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I have so many questions for you. Like, what made you suddenly decide to do it, and how yeah, hard was it, and how expensive was the equipment? And that's actually those are all great questions. Because I really, like I said, I I wanted to. I think you would love doing this. One of the reasons I moved to Astoria was I wanted to have my own show on KMUN. Oh, really? You know, so I, I kind of felt like I wanted to, you know, embrace the Astoria life. And I thought, oh, maybe I could take classes at the college and learn more about that. And, you know, and then I had this idea for a documentary of doing like the 50 states of education uh -huh. and going to all 50 states and teaching in every state and oh, then wow. like doing like a podcast I would watch that. and interviewing people or maybe even like doing a documentary, like a PBS style thing. And mm -hmm. just saying, you know, you could go to small rural schools, you could go to huge urban districts, you could go to private schools, you could look at, you know, charter schools and just sort of get a sense of what was going on, you know, in this idea that we use this universal curriculum for all these people that have such different lifestyles. And is it really preparing people for what they need? That's very relevant. <clears throat> yeah, I think education makes for a great podcast conversation. Because it's something that really affects everybody. Right. And everybody's been in school yeah, or has kids in school. That, oh, I don't have kids. It doesn't affect me. You still live in the world. Well, and you're still paying for the school <laughs> if you own any kind of property. You know, we're indefinitely in a consumer business. It's so funny, people are so much more comfortable videoing because we're Zooming all the time. I know. Like, you're always on camera now. You just get so used to it. Your house. <laughs> the kids see inside your house. You see inside their house. You meet yeah, their pets. They meet your pets. Oh, that's, do you ever have any awkwardness with parents, like, teaching with an audience? I'm, I am who I am always 
I don't have a lot of pretense as a person. I don't know. So, like, even when I have conferences, it's just this is what you get. I'm not good at being something I'm not. So it makes it a lot easier because, you know what I mean? When you're always your authentic self, you never have to worry about that. That's one of my policies with this show is just instead of second-guessing all the time and being worried that people aren't going to like what I'm saying or they're not going to like how I'm saying it, I'm just like, just trust your gut, say what you believe and say what is true, and it should turn out okay. like like the podcast you listen to. There are ones I start and I'm like, meh, not for me. Lots of them. Right. So you're going to find your group, your tribe. And so if you pretend to be something you're not, then you're not going to attract the right people anyway. Not sustainable. Right, right. Yeah, that was something people talk about a lot in the setup process. It's like, who's your audience? And everybody asks that uh, from, like, my parents to the podcast hosting service. Like, they want you to write a little paragraph to send to advertisers of, like, who's your audience? And to be honest, I have no idea. Well, it's early days, yeah. Exactly. So I I really don't know. I'm going to have to wait, like, six months to see who's listening to it. Figure it out then. But um, right now it's, like, my mom... My grandma, people like that. And, and the more people you interview, like, of course, I'm going to send it to everyone I know because yeah. it's a thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you're going to broaden your scope. And I like your diversity. So you had your interview with Jeff. Then you kind of just had your show. Then you had the very intense interview with kind of the neurobiologist. Mm-hmm. Then last night's was like really like the insomnia show and yeah. just kind of like the talking about the podcasting thing. So it's it's nice. It's like a mixed bag, you know? That was kind of my intention. The the I wanted to put out my – I wanted to launch with three episodes as, so that it would – because that's going to be the general types of shows I'll do. I'll have interviews with my friends, which are interesting because I have interesting friends. Um, just solo podcasts with myself where I'm kind of talking about the process of doing this and my own life a little bit. And then um, interviews with interesting people such as yourself where it's like uh, – and actually you're kind of in the middle because we have connections yeah. in multiple ways. But um, yeah, it was I, – I didn't want people to just get on there and find Jeff Hilton and – think that they're all going to be like that, um, which are kind of rough around the edges. And, but I also don't want them to get on there and find the one where it's just me talking where it's like, Oh, listen, this self-indulgent asshole. I don't really want to hear this every day. Um, it's, I like, cause that's the podcast I listen to have a little of both. Um, cause you gotta have some of your personality in there. Otherwise people will just won't know you. And that's, that's, what's great about the medium is that you really feel connected to the artist who's making what and I I don't know about calling this an artist situation but for some it just depends yeah um it's still is scratching uh scratching that creative itch for me at least right now it's been cool and just like to me I think it's cool that you get to talk to a lot of people maybe you haven't talked to for a while yeah and you know I'm noticing that with the podcast that I've listened to is they've made changes Like they used to do one thing and then during COVID, they're like, oh, let's talk about that. Let's fig- figure out where you are and how you're handling this. Or you have like a like Dak Shepard. He does like a lot. He's a celebrity and he interviews other celebrities. His show's pretty good. And then you have like Sobercast, you know, or you have shows that are just about health and nutrition and fitness. I listen to a lot of those. Mm-hmm. And then um, what's the other one that I really like? 
there's just different kinds. You know, there's a little bit of something for everybody. And so you, you know, like Brene Brown or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you really can vary it. And then you get connected, like Family Secrets. I like that one. And I just listen to tons. And then when you're listening to it, they'll turn you on to something else. And then mm-hmm. you get into that. So I really like it. It's, How long have you been listening to podcasts? Probably when the pandemic started, because okay. I'm anxious and I'm a walker. So mm-hmm. I walk two hours a day. Oh, and wow. at first it was books on tape, but it felt isolated. I liked yeah. the interactivity of the podcast. I really thought that that was amazing. Yeah, that's exactly how I got to it, too. Uh, just spending so many hours driving by myself. And I've, I listened to the same albums uh, hundreds of times. And then I was like, I really need to go some, get something else. And so I switched to audiobooks and I listened to hundreds of books uh, over a few years. And then, it, like you said, it's a little isolating because you're only getting that author's perspective. You don't, there's not that exchange. And even though a podcast is still just coming into you, you're not, you don't get to respond. It still has a little bit more intimacy uh, kind of baked in. Like just maybe that some of them are improvised or they're free or that it seems kind of a little more grassroots than most production shows. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. It makes you feel connected. And then I started, so I, I would listen to them every day and the, over the course of a couple of years, I started realizing like, I could probably do this. It's, it seems like not that hard. Um, and, but the people who are really good at it make it look like it's not that hard. It's much harder than I expected. It's, um, just, the things that are difficult about it are not what I expected. The things that I thought would be really easy are not easy. Like uh, just keeping the flow of the conversation going without filler words has been very difficult. I didn't realize that I think in a jumble. Um, it's it's not a stream of thought. It's a cloud of thought. So it's it's tricky. But I don't want to talk about myself anymore. I want to talk about you. Well, I was thinking as I was coming over here that I have been teaching as long as you've been alive. Wow. This is my 32nd year of teaching. That doesn't even seem possible. Yeah. It's, I, I'm it's not amazing. trying to flatter you, but you have not aged since I met you. Like in, I was in fourth grade. And age is not something that bothers me. Like I have a lot of pride in getting older mm-hmm. because I think you do get wiser. And so yeah. like from the educational point of view, that's why I'm excited and I'm also a little bit, I, I feel sad because this is an amazing opportunity in education right now with COVID because what teachers who've been in the business a long time knew, the rest of the world has finally caught on. Which you was? know, education has not been equitable for a long time and school does not work for all kids. Mm-hmm. And we're so tied to this idea that oh, well, if the buses don't leave at this time and if the calendar doesn't look like this, and suddenly we can't do that, and yet we've managed to make it work. You know, has it been scary? Is there huge, you know, growth? Yeah, but that's where the magic happens. And so I've always been a child-centered teacher. I'm a really big believer in, like, Votech education. And so, again, I was thinking about you a lot since I've, I've watched you do this, and I thought, well... What if when kids are in school, we ask them, what are you passionate about? Like, what do you love? And then you can design a curriculum where you can still teach them lots of standards through that lens. And so I thought about your podcast. And I'm like, well, what what kinds of skills would you have to have? And you alluded to some of them earlier. If you were a kid in school and you're like, you know what? I'd really like to get into podcasting. So what do you think? 
what's the first thing that you wish somebody would give you a class about? What might you need? What kind of subject area material would help you? Well, anything multimedia, like uh, the getting the equipment set up seemed, I mean, I, I did the absolute easiest setup. So it's all, I use USB mics. Uh, I guess I should just tell people so that if they want to do the same thing. I have a blue Yeti microphone that has three settings or four settings on it. And it works pretty good because you can use it for groups or single or it's it's pretty versatile. And then I have a couple of those ones which are just uh, – I always forget the word, but cardioid or cordioid or – I don't know. It's the one that has a little heart-shaped uh, receiving pattern. So it just picks up right in front. Uh, but they're both just basic USB plug-and-play microphones. A nicer – setup with which would allow you to have a little bit more control would be like a digital digital audio interface with plugins um xrp plugins which are like professional microphone plugins and that that would cost about twice as much money but still under a thousand dollars so somebody would have had to have walked you through that so if you were a student in school we would teach you about the equipment. Then what about like this whole process? Like what kind of skills do you need to have somebody come in and to get gas to what kind of things would you need to learn about at school? I would say that the the equipment stuff is, is pretty easy. You could cover that in a week. And then uh, when it comes to the skills that I think were would be the hardest to get is just like, I don't even know if you could teach it. People who just have that natural gift of conversation who could just kind of go. I bet you'd be able to pick the kids out um, just by knowing who they were and knowing the kids personally. But as far as the kids picking themselves, I don't even know. And I, I really think this is a new enough thing. I mean, it's only 10 years old or so. It's, it's really not that old. And it's still being figured out. I, don't, I think another 10 years from now, it could look completely different. Uh, so who knows? But those kids are probably going to be the ones to make that decision. So that having an education system that would support creativity and growth towards those goals that they have would be really cool. Yeah, and just like I, I was thinking, it's like everything that we do as adults requires some set of skills. And I miss the old apprentice and mentor programs. And, you know, the teachers can't be the only ones that are teaching. And just this idea, too, like in middle school and high school where, all right, you have a math class. Then you leave math and you go to English. And then you leave English and you go to social studies. And I think when I go grocery shopping, I'm using all of those skills. And they're all interconnected. So I've always been really big into thematic teaching where you get like this overarching idea and then you teach each of the subjects based on that. So I was thinking about like podcasts. Could I have a podcast studio in my class and oh, what skills fun. would I get? So of course they could work with other people who have shows. Mm -hmm. So now they have a community connection and then we would do interviewing skills. What does it take to be a good interviewer? What kind of questions do you want to ask? Well, you can't ask yes or no questions because you'll have dead air. So do you like this? Yep. Yeah. Then I learned what? that pretty quick. Yeah. What's that <laughs> follow-up question going to be? So there's a lot of language embedded in that. And then just mathematically, is it sustainable to do this? How much is the equipment? Do I need an advertiser? How much revenue would I bring in? Do I have to put this on my taxes? And just it would encompass so many things. And then at the end, the kids would know if they were successful or not based on subscribers. Yeah. It's not some arbitrary, well, the teacher likes my project, so I got an A. Or the teacher taught my brother, and she really liked him, you know. Not that we do that, but 
I just love the idea of like Steve Blasco has a shop at the high school and they make something. It either was upside down or it was right side up. Mm-hmm. You know, the client either liked it or they didn't like it. And so I'd like to see education. I'd like to look at that more. And I'd like to look at the school calendar. Why do we go to school 180 days where and did, have where summer did that come off? From? I think it's agrarian. I think it was based oh, when we sense. were a farming culture. And as a tourist destination, it's good to have summers off for kids because they work. But what about families? You can't take a vacation in the summer if you're a fisherman or if you own a business. Why don't we have two weeks off in October? You know, and everyone's talking about the COVID slump. Well, what happens in the three months of summer? We only go to school in 180 days. What do people do the other 180 days? Like, why is da- why is all this such a big issue all of a sudden? Like, people are like, well, we have to go back. We have to go back. And it's like, what do you normally do? Like, you have children. You have them 365 days a, a year. We only take 180 of those days, you know? And just looking at what, do- what services are schools supposed to provide. Are yeah. we the center for all things, which I think we should be. I think school's a great place to provide nutrition for kids and food and meals. I would put doctor and dentist offices in schools like they do that in inner awesome. cities. They do that in inner cities, huh? Yeah, when I was in Boston. Oh, I didn't did know that. that. Yeah, yeah. But I love education, and I love thinking about how to make it better. Like, what could we do that would be different? And turning new people on to be teachers, like Mm -hmm. not your standard. Because, you know, I had, you know, I didn't have you as as a student. I had your brother. But you're two very different learners. Yeah. You know, and did school work for you? It did. I I mean, yeah, I would say it did. I loved school. I've always loved school. I still love school. I wish I was still there. My plan, I mean, I'm a fickle person. I'm impulsive, and I, I decide major life decisions on a whim, and then I just double down and go for it. That's what I did. Uh, like I picked my college, just picked one and went there. Uh, then I realized that I didn't have enough money to pay for it uh, because it was in California. And I was like, oh, all right, I'll go to Washington and picked a different one and went there. And after that, I just picked a job and went and had that job. And now I'm picking to do a podcast and I'm going to do a podcast. And in between that, I have gone through, I've lived a thousand lives in possibility where I just like, I just like to fantasize about all the different jobs and kind of like you were saying about education, how you take a system that's really entrenched in tradition and habits, really, and kind of turn it on its head and see, go back to first principles and see like, well, what are we actually trying to accomplish here? Are we just, are we just repeating past mistakes uh, or are we trying to improve? And I think a lot of people, sadly, don't come at it from that mindset especially in education, because, uh, I mean, we that's I'm not even talking about higher education, which it's probably even worse because there's a 10-year system and lots of problems with just people having too much power over ideology and then trying to enforce it. It's I, I don't know where that came from. I noticed it when I was in college, just barely getting started. But it seems like now you're not – the freedom of expression has – dropped a little bit and it's not gone i we still have it's still the united states and we can still say what we want to say but there's a uh, there's a lot more people who are hesitant to express themselves period whether they like whether they have the status quo opinion or not they're just like i'll just keep it to myself just in case and i think that's actually a dangerous situation because we're gonna that's not how progress is made people don't 
come up with good ideas when they're keeping everything to themselves because they're afraid of being wrong. we got to be allowed to be wrong. Well, and I think civil discourse is mm-hmm. an important thing we need to teach in schools, which we always did. You know, it's exciting to disagree. Mm-hmm. Like back back in the day, they used to have parlors, you know, and people would sit in the parlor and there would be someone who would play music and then they would have political conversations and you you would make arguments and you would agree to disagree and it was okay. And that's really where learning takes place. I like to meet people who think differently than I do. Me too. Because that's where growth happens for me. And sometimes I think I know. That's the beauty of being a teacher is you know, there are sixth graders who know things I don't know. I don't live in a video game world. I don't know anything about that. And they've really turned me on to things and taught me about things. And I think learning is exciting, you know, and we learn from people who are different than us. That's why we love to travel. Because when we travel, we get to experience different cultures. So I'm from the East Coast. If you didn't pick up on my accent, I grew up in Boston. And I taught school for a little while in Dorchester in the inner city. And then I also worked in Brookline, which was a very posh private school. And then I went and taught in Guam for a couple of years. So you went from inner city to private school to Guam. Yes. So that sounds like three very different environments. How how did that happen? Well, I'm much like you. I, if there's an opportunity, I take it. And I'm fearless with my job. I'm much more fearful about my personal life. And I'm afraid of, you know, getting hurt or making a wrong choice. But where my career is concerned, I've always just been like, let's try to get that grant or let's try to get something done, you know. You're going to go for it. Yeah. And go. And if I fail, I fail. So what? At least I gave it a shot. So that was exciting, but it was really cool. I I loved coming from Boston where our communication style and our speed of speech and, you know, a little bit rougher and tumbler. And then when I went to Guam, it was like Hawaii. It was so laid back. Calm. And people were like, slow down, enjoy the day. And it was really challenging for me. I Was it frustrating? Um, yes, because I wanted everything done yesterday. Did they show up late? It's island time. Oh, it's island time. And it's that's relaxed. Hard for me too. <laughs> it's very relaxed. And and it's funny because people who come and then when I moved here because it's a you know, a beach community as well, things are a little bit different. And people in the Pacific Northwest are so nice. I remember the first time I went to the post office and like on the East Coast, it's like you wait in line. And if you go to the window before they call you, they make you go back. And then they're like, next. Where here people are like, hi, how are you? And I'm like, am I on candid camera? Like, what's going on here? And it's just a different lifestyle. And still after, you know, I've been here 20-something years, and people still think that I'm a little rough. They're like, you're kind of mean. And it's like, no, I'm just, like you were asking me early, I I just am who I am. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't have the refinement, I guess, to be sensitive and patient as as I should be. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, sensitive and patient only goes so far. You seem like you've got a pretty good middle ground established um, where you get what you need done. Like sometimes people can just be too sensitive and patient and it, nothing ever gets done. I Sometimes I have a hard time with that because I want to just be aggressive and just go after what I want. But you're, you come up against an environment where that's just not how things are done and you can't. But um, well, let's go back to education. Um, if, if you had a magic wand and you were just like, who, oh, actually, by the way, who's the new secretary of education is, oh, I, I, do we know yet? I think that he has not been 
approved yet, but um, he's a, he has a great background in ELL education. And, and what is ELL? Uh, like English language learners. And he was a teacher himself for a very long time. And then he was a principal and a superintendent of schools. So he has a lot of hands-on experience. So a big change from Betsy DeVos, you know, just a different kind of cabinet person. So we're excited and looking forward to his being confirmed and and getting in place. So that will be interesting. But at the federal level, the trickle-down is still pretty small. You know, from what the decisions they make are mostly financial, mm-hmm. and then the day-to-day running of the school is a little bit different. Yeah. So you were, I yeah, we got that on the beginning, but uh, you were talking about the potential of doing a, like a show or a podcast where you travel from state to state and talk about education. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah. When I turned 50, um, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool to do like a documentary or a podcast called The 50 States of Education? So what I would do is I would get like a Mrs. Frizzle kind of groovy van and I'd kit it out and I'd bring a camera person with me or somebody, you know, that had some background in tech. And I would go to a variety of different schools. Like I have a national board certification, which means I'm certified in every state. So I would want to teach a class in every single state. And I could just like walk in and and see if I could do it. Like if the teacher's like, well, you know, today we're learning about, you know, fractions. Can you do the lesson? And so I would just have to whisk in, immediately make that contact with those kids, handle any of the discipline problems, and teach this lesson. That would be and fun then, and entertaining to watch. And then just go hang out with the people who lived in that town. And look at all sorts of different schools. Like maybe you go to a rural school in Ohio. Or maybe you go to an inner city school in New York. And you just have to do it. It's almost like a game show. It's like, can you teach in, you know, Wisconsin? And also just really reflecting on what does education look like in the United States? I know what it looks like in my small community, but I don't know what it looks like, you know, at PS5 in New York. I don't know what it looks like in South Carolina. And what is the lifestyle and how does the educational system support that? So if you live in a farming community, community, are you getting more of a, you know, F, what is it, like Future Farmers of America? You know, do you have that available to you? Because that could be your career at some point. But you don't want to pigeonhole people either. You know, are you offering people different things? And I just thought it would be just so cool to take a year off and A, test my own mettle to see if I was up to the task. Because literally in school, like if you've ever been a substitute, you have five minutes. Uh-huh. And if you don't win, and children have very keen senses. Oh, they'll smell the weakness a mile away. Yeah, and just like if you're if you care, I think they really know if you care. I don't think that that's something that you can fake. They can tell what you care about too. They can tell whether you're, you care about them being disciplined and quiet, or if you care about them having fun or them liking you as a sub. I remember just. I mean, I should apologize if you were ever my substitute, and I was not nice to you. I apologize. But um, yeah, I remember just being able to judge from the first five minutes, like what I'd be able to get away with today. Like, uh, which I don't, I don't know why. But uh, yeah, I do remember that people were hard on the subs. Yeah, it's a tough job. But people, people who are good subs, you know, that they were usually their former teachers. Mm-hmm. And or they can read, teachers. yeah, they can read the room. And I think teaching is, um, When I first went to college, I was a religious studies major because I come from an Irish-Italian Catholic family, and I wanted to be a nun. Mm -hmm. 
I did not know that. That was my first love. So I went to a private college. It was Assumption College in Worcester. And I started as a religious studies major. And then there was kind of a I thought it was going to be more like The Flying Nun, which was a show that I grew up with. And the and the girl looked like she was having such a good time. And the more that I got into the religious studies, I realized that it was very serious. Not that fun. Huh? And I was a little bit, maybe I didn't take it as seriously as I should. And so on campus, there was this fight with these two football players. And so I kind of jumped in the middle thinking I was going to, you know, use my religious prowess to put this down. And I got punched in the jaw. And the priest came to see me after, Father Tessitore, shout out to you. And he said, you know, maybe this isn't the right helping profession for you. And so he kind of turned me on to education. And And he said, he said, education is a calling as well. And it takes a special person. I don't know if he was just blowing smoke or, you know, it was true. And I changed my major and I started teaching at 22 and I really loved it. It really was, it fills me. You know what I mean? I mean, you have good days, you have bad days, but you really make a difference. And it's one of those jobs like being a parent where you don't always know right away. And years later, students come back and it's us. Hysterical what they remember, you know, and I see a lot of you now out and about in town and it's really cool to see you as parents and to see you, you know, being successful in your career and growing and changing. And I don't have children of my own, but I feel like I do, you know, I feel like I'm the mother of many and, and I just really like it. It's, it's an amazing experience and it takes on so many different forms. Like we were saying, I mean, I've taught second through eighth grade, you know, and I did some high school drama back in the day. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. And it's it's really it's it's just amazing, like like to get to work with all those different kids at different ages and stages. So, do I, you I have like a standout job. year or a standout chapter in your career that has been like, for any reason, just a little bit more special than? I mean, I know I don't know what's special because you don't want to, you know, say the <laughs> rest feel- work, but. <laughs> Do you have like a golden chapter that you think back on? I think um, when I went to Scotland, I did a Fulbright teacher exchange. And that was a phenomenal experience because it was a win-win for everybody. So the way it worked was I went to Scotland and I took over for a teacher. And then that teacher came here and she took over for me. And so we swapped our lives. I lived in her house. She lived on a farm. I took care of the sheep. We um, met her mother-in-law. We would go to the different fairs. The school that I taught at was, you think our school is small. It had grades K to eight, and there were 53 kids. And it was great. And then when they go to high school. in the whole school? school? Yeah. Wow. When they go to high school, they have to go to Oban. I was on the Isle of Mull. And then the other cool thing is the teacher from Scotland came here. And so the kids got to meet this gal from Scotland and her husband, and they had a five-year-old son. Oh, her husband didn't stay there and hang out with you? No, no, no. I got to bring my own husband. But we (laughs) traded everything else. We traded cats. We traded cars. And we both had accidents, which was really funny. She cracked up my car. I cracked up her car. Do they drive on the wrong side of the road in Scotland? Uh, Yeah. Well, where we were, it it was so rural. There was just a one-lane road. And when a car was coming, you had to pull out, but you pulled out on the opposite side you would normally pull out. So needless to say, I rode my bike most places because I was terrified to drive. But that was a really amazing experience because it was kind of like the 50 states thing where 
I applied. I had no idea where I was going to be sent. And then you just had to adjust. And I remember showing up and the kids said to me, they said, we thought you were going to be fat and very religious because Americans. that's what, right? And then they thought I took taxi cabs everywhere. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't go outside my door and hail a cab. But it was really cool. And like I said, the, the kids here really got to know Mrs. Cameron. And then I had kids that pen paled. And one of the families, the McPhails, who I had at that time, they actually went to Scotland and they got to meet their pen pals. Oh, wow. So that was, it was a pretty phenomenal experience. Yeah, that sounds like it for a lot of different people. Yeah, and things like that. That's the cool thing about teaching is I always tell young teachers, it's like, you know, you can travel in this job. You know, Mm -hmm. you can have all sorts of different experiences. And I think bringing the bigger world to smaller towns is really cool because it is a little bit of an ambassadorship. Like where I was able by the end of the the year, the kids had a different idea about what an American is. And my kids got to know a little bit about Scotland and then maybe think, oh, I'd like to go there. And like I said, some kids actually did. So yeah. that was very, very cool. So that was a highlight. That but sounds awesome. A lot. You know, it's I love this district. I have I have so much respect for the work that we do here and the and the kids that we work with. So so now for me it's kind of fun to see you. And so now I'm going to turn the tables a little bit and I want to ask you some questions. Shoot. All right. So as far as your educational experience, what were some of your highlights? Like, what do you remember from our district that you think we did really well and really helped prepare you? Um, let's see. I think probably for me, there was a few teachers that were that just had a really good influence on me. And honestly, I didn't give nearly enough effort to, to the academics when I was in high school or in most of those I, I didn't know how hard I could try. I, I just had never really pushed myself until college because then I had to because it, it's either you know, put up or shut up, get out. And so I, I wanted to get good grades then. But in high school, I, was, I just wanted to get by and I a lot of other stuff that was taking priorities. But there was a few teachers who just along the way just planted seeds in my head uh, that just never stopped growing. First one was Betty Arn. Um, she was my first grade teacher and my second grade teacher. Then she moved to principal in my third grade year. She had a one, two, three split class and she took the principal job for my third grade year. So I had a different teacher, but she was just incredible at at helping me realize like, oh, I could do this. I, I have potential. I can actually be good at this. And I had just not really thought about that a whole lot before. I was really nervous and anxious. I still am. Uh, but that was kind of groundbreaking for me to see, like, this could be my environment where I kind of thrive. And she helped me realize I was smart, which I just didn't really think about before because I'd only ever hung out with my family, and they were all about the same. <laughs> so it's just, yeah. Um, from there, uh, Pat Knapp in fourth grade. She gets kind of a bad rap as a, kind of a hard ass, and I just didn't see that side of her at all. Um, and I, I, people think she's strict, and I think she's a sweetheart. <laughs> like uh, she had a cat in her classroom, Muffin, which she actually let me take home over Christmas break because the teacher's pet got to take the cat home, and uh, um, my dad let it outside, and it died. 
Terrible, terrible. I remember Muffin, the oh, yeah. Siamese kitty cat. She was like part Siamese, yeah. yeah. And she used to go around the school and she'd find the kid that needed a little extra love and up on the lap. The good yeah. old days when we could have school pets. And I let her die. <laughs> it was it was uh, traumatizing, but uh, she didn't she didn't hold it against me. Um, and then uh, so, but she was just I don't know. She let me. I'm trying to not sound like uh, arrogant, but she let me do extra work because the the regular curriculum was kind of boring. So two days a week, I got to go with the high school sea resources class. So I'd have my little fourth grade sack lunch, and I'd stand out in front of Hilltop, and the bus would come up, and I'd get on, and it was half full of high schoolers, and we'd ride out to the Chinook to the the salmon hatchery, and I spent like six months working on a project with this college student. I don't remember her name, but um, yeah, I don't remember her name. But the project was to like build a replica of the ecosystem in the river in a big aquarium. And, and it was really fun. So we had, uh, Tara Hankins actually was, was involved with that too. She got to come also. And we would go out in the river and take all the little animals and little snails and different kinds of rocks and plants and get them all there. And then we got to have our whole class come out as a field trip and check out the project. It was awesome. It was just like really cool. And it was just something that that year could have been horrible for me. Uh, I was not happy with the work. It was, it was just like, uh, it was not going to be that great. Um, and she made it one of the best years of my education. So it's, it's people like that just really have a huge impact. And I don't, I don't know how much teachers, I mean, I know teachers understand the impact because that's why they're doing it, but I'm sure a lot of kids have these kind of memories and just never even mention them to the teachers. So you, you've probably affected three times as many kids as you think, like just from just sharing your energy, like you have a very positive, it's obvious that you care about what you're doing and that you want to do it the right way. So it's, well, and it's, it's, it's funny, the two people you mentioned are really my mentors. Oh. Like Betty Arn was one of the best principals I ever worked for. And she advocated for teachers and students. And it's like you said, she loved her job and she loved the kids. And she would put herself on the line for us. And you knew that even as an adult, like as a teacher, you would move you know, hell and high water for Betty because she had your back. Mm -hmm. And Pat, when I first came to the district, that she was assigned my mentor. And funny, the Scotland thing, the people from Scotland were best friends with Kenny and Pat. They loved them the most, yeah, because they shared the farm thing. But I remember the Sea Resources Program, and that's a shame. The things like that, when they go away, I think that that makes me sad because We had a funny story because I think it might have been your year. Um, I took my fourth grade class out there, and we had a little girl who had autism, Heather Vaughn. And she pushed Scott Fogerland and Katie Freeze in the salmon pond. And and it was like this crazy thing. And it was my first year here. And everybody was so cool. Like they were just like, yeah, you know, it happens. It's okay. Well, I'm just like, I'm going to get fired. I'm this sure Scott terrible. was fine. I can I can see Katie being a little freaked yeah, she, out. The salmon, they were big. And I uh-huh. think like they brushed against her leg. But but she'll bring that up from time to time, which is really funny. I've had all sorts of misadventures, you know, because like you, it's like I'm just like, well, let's do a play or let's do this or let's do that. And so, you know, we redid the totem pole once that was outside oh, of yeah. Hilltop. Oh, yeah, I remember and, that. I yeah. think my brother did that 
yeah, in, yeah. In, in on that project. And it was it is cool to work in our district because we do have amazing teachers. And I think sometimes people forget that. So I know that you were involved in the theater arts. Were you an athlete as well when you were in high school? I tried to be, yeah. What um, was your sport of choice? I played football from fourth grade through 12th grade. Um, and I was an offensive lineman, so boring. Like, I really just wanted to be on a team. I like being on a team and feeling like I'm part of something. Um, but if I'm being completely honest, I hated practice. <laughs> I liked the games, but I really didn't want to go to practice. The uh, it, I had a repeat of the same thing for rowing in college. Like, I wanted to cry every day when I woke up, but I would get up anyway and go out at 5 a.m. in a row, and then at the end of practice, I would feel like a stronger person. I, I would that kind of sacrifice where you you just push your comfort to the side and do something you do not want to do because you know it's going to bring you about bring about a positive result in your life is so crucial. And I think that a lot of people of like actively avoid that kind of stuff and they think that that's the right move because they're like I I don't I'm not enjoying this I'm going to quit. And I think that our culture kind of accepts that now. It's like, and it, it, in a way, that's okay because we live in a time where you have so many options. You don't want to give up that opportunity cost if you're not getting anything out of it. Um, it but I think when you're young, you have a hard time knowing whether or not you're going to get anything out of it. And as you get older, you, you might see that, oh, I actually got – that was actually foundational to who I am now. Uh, and at the time – I just thought it was horrible because, you know, the ground was wet and I didn't want to sit down and do my stretches. But um, but yeah, I played football and it was hard and I'm so glad that I did that. And I the people who I, you know, became close with through that, through crew also, um, are still people who I love. Like, it's just, there's really no sacrifice. I mean, there's really no substitute for being tied to people in, with a common goal. It, it just feels good. It's tribalism. It's, our brains want to do it. So it's, I, I do like sports for that. And also I'm very into physical health and just athletics in general, but I'm uncoordinated. I'm, I'm terrible at basketball. Um, it takes me a long time to learn physical stuff, techniques and stuff. Once I get it, I got it, but um, I'm not a natural athlete. I have to work really hard. So um, that's probably the most accurate answer I could give. And then I played baseball also from forever. And then I switched to track in 10th grade and found out there's a lot less to learn. And if you just run, uh, you don't have to figure out how to swing properly or hit anything or kick a ball. It's just, just run. And I like that. And so that's been kind of my sport ever since was uh, I just like to run and lift weights. Yeah, that's funny because I'm blind in one eye. And so ball sports were not for me. Like, and I couldn't figure it out for the longest time. Like people would always want to play tennis with me. And I'm like, why do I, because I'm terrible. You know, it's like, oh. I cannot see. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, once you figure out that if you hit it to my right side, that you're going to win, you know, you win. And so I got into running too, because it didn't matter if I was sport goofy, I could mm -hmm. run. And then I also did, I had a little foray into roller derby, which oh. I loved. I was fresh meat. And so when you join the roller derby team, you have to, you know, you have to compete. And I was in my 40s. Where and, was this? Um, right in Astoria. Okay. They had the River City. We were the River City Dolls. And 
I, I mean, I'm 5'2", I weigh 110 pounds. I got an ass whooping. I mean, I bet. they came for me. They kicked your skates. They tripped you. You know, these girls were athletes, like serious athletes, like swimmers, like broad-shouldered, you know, butts like iron and like one little check. And I was like flying across the, the arena. But I love the adrenaline of it. And it and I wouldn't say I'm a violent person per se, but for a smaller person, I have kind of like, a, it's like being a chihuahua with like a German shepherd attitude. It's like, I'm fearless. I It's like, I, I've been in fights before. I mean, I just get caught up in it, you mm-hmm. know? And so roller derby was an amazing outlet for that. I highly recommend it that if like you have anger situations, it's a really good way to get that out. What's the goal of the game? Like, is there a ball you're carrying around or is it a race? No, it's it's a race. So you have a jammer and the jammer is the one that has to, to make the points. And then you have all the people behind you that are preventing you from being knocked down. So the jammer is usually Mm -hmm. the smaller person on the team because you're fast. Mm -hmm. But you have to have this, you know, kind of like football. It's like football on roller skates. So you have to have somebody that blocks you. And if if they get through, then you're toast. And if you make them mad, say, oh, I don't know, maybe right before the the match, you're going to get it. Wow, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. It is fun. It's very, very fun. And and I always loved roller skating. I still like to roller skate. I think that that is really fun. But I like your idea of thinking about um, when you were talking about this idea of how much do you push people to finish what they start? Mm-hmm. That's something in education we've really struggled with, with the everyone's a winner kind of philosophy. And I didn't grow up with that. I don't know about you, but it's like if I started something and my parents dished out any money at all, we were going to finish it. Mm-hmm. And and it was about integrity and work ethic and this idea that, and I was miserable. I mean, like I said, I was not athletic. And I remember joining a softball team and it was the longest season of my life. I, like you, I just hated it so much. And my father was not letting me out of it. But you do learn something from that. But I bet you could do an interview with somebody that said it traumatized them. Yeah. And as a result of that. So where, like now you're a dad where do you put that line between forcing your kids to stick it out and letting them quit? Like, how do you know? I'm actually dealing with that right now. So my daughter is a ballerina, and she's been in ballet since she was five or maybe four, three. She's been in ballet for a very long time, over half of her life. So she and she's she went from this little tiny thing who was, I mean, you know how little kids look when they're doing ballet. They're just jumping around, and it's it's adorable, but it, it's not graceful. And now she's just this tall, just graceful, beautiful dancer. And I was like, how did this even happen? But um, so she's only done ballet seriously. So she's taken a little bit of tap and a little bit of jazz, I think. But ballet has been her thing. And I've noticed uh, from the beginning that she is a very technical dancer with the moves. Like I can see on her face that she is thinking of the moves, move by move. And like I do this move, then this move, then this move. And not so much feeling it with her body um, where she almost falls, where you almost fall into the moves with the rhythm. And I don't know if that's something you can teach or if it's something that you're just born with or what. But that, that intrinsic sense of timing. Um, she's not off time. She's just doing it a different way. She's not feeling the music. She's counting and, and like 
trying to make sure she's matching. It it's, seems like it's a way more like cognitive uh, draining process, I'm sure. But she's just been doing it for so long. She's she's got it down, but she's not comfortable just freely dancing. Like uh, so, she'll struggle to kind of relax and just let that let it flow because she's used to just this is the moves you do them in this order and then then you're done but so she'll so she's been kind of I wouldn't say forced but pressured into taking um contemporary dance class which is a lot of well she refers to it as a lot of this (laughs) um and she doesn't like it she and I've there's been times when I was watching her at rehearsal and it would um they'd be doing their choreographed thing and then her teacher would say all right now freestyle and everyone just dances. And most people look goofy when they freestyle dance. It's, that's part of it. It's it, kind of accepting that is what makes it fun, and especially if you're white. <laughs> and, um, the, and she just stands, like, immediately freezes up uh, because she, she doesn't have that, like, I don't even know what you'd call it, the flow. The flow isn't there. And um, so she didn't want to go to contemporary anymore. And I, me and my wife went back and forth about whether or not we should ask her to stick it out or not and we ended up letting her drop it because she's already in dance a few days a week and um but I wasn't really sure if that was the right decision if we should have kind of forced her to stay a little longer because I think she only went for a couple weeks and that's not really long enough to open up especially when you've spent years practicing this one way of dancing so I don't know um she might end up changing her mind later but she's at this age now where she's um going through some just changes in her personality and it's it's fun to watch because she was just this little tiny thing just the other day and now she's just huge and um she has all these thoughts and feelings that grown-ups would have uh so it's just strange just time just flies i'm the same person i was when i met her and she's just not um it's it, she's better like i'm it's i'm not complaining i love i love watching my kids grow up um, but it's, it's, you know, it's hard to know how to handle all that stuff. So do you think <clears throat> kids, like, like, you know, we complain all the time, you know, kids today, you know, but it is true. Each generation sees changing changes in the generation before. And like I said, I've been in the business a long time now. So it's odd because I kind of, you were in fourth grade when I started, and I will have your child, you know? And so it's really interesting to think about what you were like at that age and your thinking and thought processes and then the new generation. And the big thing that's changed so much is technology. Technology is a game changer. And I'm I'm finding it really interesting how much we don't like Zoom and how we always thought that that was going to be the thing, that, you know, people were going to replace, you know, computers and, you know, the online and the swipe left and the swipe right. And this generation in particular, as a teacher, I really see that they have a funny love-hate relationship with technology. And I think we as adults sometimes think, oh, that's their thing. It really isn't. They still love other people. That has been the biggest complaint with COVID and Zooming is they miss their friends. They see them, you know, they play video games and do all that. But I don't really think anything will ever take the place of in-person 
face-to-face. And so I don't know, I don't, like I said, I'm not with kids 24-7. I just see them in the classroom. So what is the role with your kids in technology? Do you have to limit it? Do you have to tell them to knock it off? Or because we're in a more rural town, our kids still like to go out and play, go out on the boat, do this and that. How are your experiences? I think that we have it a little bit easier than some other parents might have it because, first of all, we do have access to those kind of outdoor activities. Um, My kid's grandpa has a boat and he takes them fishing often. Um, My son actually works on the boat like all summer. It's when, when it's here. So he's, he's outside all the time. Elsa is also really outdoorsy. My kids love to hike. So it's not a problem to get them outside. Um, But when I can't go with them or like, cause we we're stuck on the computer a lot nowadays and Melissa and me both, cause we both work through the computer more than half the time. And so sometimes it's just not available to where we can go out and do something and the kids end up on a tablet or looking at a screen basically for most of the day. And yeah, I, I really don't like it. It makes me feel like um, it's probably not good for their eyes. It's definitely not good for their attention. Uh, I, I've seen some research that's kind of freaky, but it was old. So this is most of the research on screen time and that kind of thing is very new because screens are pretty new. And I don't really trust the conclusions. But when I was still in college there, it was the experts were saying one hour of screen time for like kids under five is the max. And now it doesn't really even that's not even practical because that's I mean, that's not even enough to watch a whole movie. (laughs) But it's it's so I I remember when I tried to I was trying to enforce that when I first like showed up um, when tablets first started becoming a problem in our house, not even a problem, once they became something we had to manage. And uh, it was very impractical to to one hour a day. So it, we we try to limit it to three hours a day, which seems like a lot, sounds like a lot, but it gets exceeded on a regular basis. It's hard because I, uh, I have to try to show them how to do it rather than tell them what to do. And it's, that's not that hard for me because I work, I do so much work on the computer, especially now with the podcast, that I don't want to be on the computer. I don't want to be on my phone once I'm done. Uh, after 5 p.m., I don't really want to look at technology anymore. Yeah, and I'll be interested in seeing what comes out of all this. You know, it's like we've always know, we you know, like it's – and it's generational because there is like this – the 20-somethings are a little bit less socially engaged – than this next generation coming up. And I think it's because the technology was so new and they got so ensconced in it. Like we as a school, like fully embraced, you know. So I don't know what this whole Zoom situation and all this screen time is going to do to this generation. So it's like you said, that research we really won't know about for a few years yet to come. So when your kids don't get outside, do you notice a difference in their personalities at all? Huge. Yeah, they don't, they're not happy. Uh, same with contact with other kids. If they're not seeing other people, they're, they're down. Like it's not a major problem uh, because we try really hard to keep them socialized. Um, and we have access to cousins, which is really lucky. But um, yeah, it, they're, they'll, their energy is low. They just seem kind of, they're not that same sharp, like witty, fun person and I feel the same way when I stare at because think about what you're doing like everything you do is practice you're practicing for something later so if you think about it like that 
I don't want to practice just not moving and staring at something. And especially if it's passive consumption cognitively as well. So if it's like there's no real computation going on, you're not chewing it up as you're, it's not challenging material. You're just consuming like entertainment. Uh-uh, not good for your brain. I, I feel like that's a good way to just make you into a zombie. Well, and I think so many of us, you know, are guilty of the turn off the screen, mute, and go do something else mm-hmm. because you just can't do it. And it's funny, the introvert, extrovert thing. It's like I was dying to get back to school. I do not translate on Zoom at all because I'm a people person. And I had one of the kids said to me like last week, she's like, you're just so much more interesting in person. And I thought that is true. I give off like an aura or an energy and you just can't, it's like being a comedian, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, like when you watch, like sometimes you'll listen to shows now and there's no audience and it just is so flat. It's so flat because like here we watch each other, we look at each other. It's like, okay, do I need to make this longer? Do I need to get a little bit more excited here? And when you don't have that, it's just not, it's weird. It's just weird. Do you make people turn on their cameras? Your students turn on the cameras? We can't do that because people oh. live in different kinds of houses oh, right. and it's, you know, you don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable or, or whatever. But sometimes I'll play a game where it's like, okay, you know, like everybody turn on their camera and then one person will change something, like take off their necklace or put on earrings and then they'll put the camera back so you on. So want to turn on the camera. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's always optional. It's always optional. But it's, it's not my forte. You know, I do yeah. not translate. To Zoom, which is which is such a drag. So I'm excited for the world to get back to normal and for things. But but to come full circle, I really want us to look at all of our systems. And I think that what I've told people is it will break my heart if we go back to business as usual. Yeah, if that we would be will a have learned big mistake. Nothing from this. What the way I see it is that we people were already expecting this Zoom trend. People have been talking about it for years. Like, oh, as soon as that technology is there, we're going to be all on the internet anyway, online school. And it be, uh, became clear really fast. Like, okay, there are definitely some benefits, but there are some drawbacks too, and it'll it'll never replace in person completely. Yeah, well, I'm excited about the snow day now because it's not like before. Like the superintendent would just be, you know crawling out of their skin. Do I call school? Don't I call school? Oh, we'll do the two-hour delay and then creep in. And now it's like school's canceled. Everyone's Zoom. Yeah. You don't have to make it up in the summer. Everybody stays safe. We're not stressed out. And I even like the one day a week. One day a week, you know, kids can, you know, stay home, recoup. Wednesday's our day. And it's great. I still have my anchor points. And I have back-to-back-to-back meetings but I get so much done. And then I, you know, the two different groups of school kids, that's kind of fun. Small group learning, that's amazing. 30 kids in a classroom. You know, I always tell people the wealthiest people have private tutors. Yeah. Why do we think it's a good idea to put 30 kids in a classroom and think that you're going to get the same effect? And I know it's cost effective and all that, but we're doing it now. Yeah. I don't know if anyone does think it's a good idea. They just think it's cheap. Yeah. And a lot of decisions, like I said, we make just because, like you were saying so eloquently, that it's just what we've always done. Mm -hmm. And are we doing it just because this is what what we've always done and we're afraid of something new. And I'm, you know, I always laugh because Tiffany, you know, she's a mutual friend and her and I are like, we're like the, we drive Amy bananas because we're just like the idea people. I'm like, Amy, I've got an idea. And she's like, okay, Kelly, what is it? Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I will try something just to try it. 
Because so what it fails? Yeah. You learn something from your mistakes. And I think that's what makes a great teacher, too, is that you let kids kill your cat. It happens. (laughs) You've learned a lot. I bet you're an amazing pet owner now. I bet you are so so conscientious. Yeah. Uh, Everything else, great. Uh, You should see me raise a fish. No, you had a cat. I did have a cat, but I don't anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we might need a poster for you. Like, do not let this person... Yeah, I would love that. Adopt a cat. I do not like cats uh, in my house anymore. Oh, oh. About two years ago, I had this cat. So, oh, no, it's actually been way longer than that. So I moved into this house uh, when me and Melissa got together. And I, uh, when I was in the process of packing all my stuff and getting ready to move, I hadn't seen my cat, Princess, for two months. She was just gone. And I was just like, ah, bummer. Oh, well, it's just a cat. And uh, so as I'm, I'm literally in the truck, everything's packed up. It's the very last trip. All my stuff is out of the house. It's locked. I'm leaving. And I hear, meow. And Princess comes trotting out of the woods and up to my vehicle. Somehow she knew that I was leaving. Are you forgetting something? And I I thought she was dead. So I was like really happy to see her. And I liked that cat. She was cool. But um, we later had a falling out because... (laughs) I was in my bed asleep, and I wake up to a cat on my chest, sitting there with her little paws there and just massaging my breasts <laughs> like cats do. And um, all of a sudden, she just pissed all over me. And I was like, okay, we're done, princess. You're get you're going to move out. And then we got rid of her. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I do think you definitely have to draw the line. Yeah. You know, it's a relationship like anything else. I, I if somebody it. peed on me, it'd be over. Yeah. I you mean, know? unless they ask for permission. That's right. Yeah. If that's your thing, that's your thing. But I definitely think that cats, you know, I, I have a cat as well. And we have a, it, you know, it's that relationship again where, you know, there I just bought a brand new couch. Now it has a big hole in the bottom. And we had a little, you know, come to Jesus. <laughs> There's some flying cat. You're, but, oh, yeah, you don't live in that house anymore. But your no. house was very nice. Yes. I, I could see a cat destroying a place yeah. like that. I imagine yeah. your new house yeah. is probably nice too yes yes i moved to astoria which i like and i highly recommend it's, it's i love astoria um, and i like being on the river i was on the ocean and the ocean is very calming but not a lot happens the river it's like so exciting it's like tv you know you've got the sea lions up to shenanigans you've got boats going you know and it's you know I'm right in front of coffee girl and it's just it's a great place to be and astoria offers a lot too um oregon schools though i think i think our schools are better i oh, love really? our school district and so your kids just made a leap to yeah. nacelle how are you feeling about that i love it i mean i i mean ocean beach will always have a place in my heart i love ocean beach and um they've been great to me and i think i i i really do people talk shit about ocean beach but i think they're a great school a school district they do what they can um rural communities don't have a lot of support so you get what you pay for but i was i mean i was hesitant about nacelle because obviously i grew up at the beach and there's always been just like an unspoken rivalry i don't know where it came from uh but i just in my head had it that we were better and they were worse but I was actually wrong. They're a really good school. <laughs> they're uh, they're smaller, so they have a little bit more focused attention. Everything just seems to run smoothly. There's not a lot of drama. Um, the turnovers and principals at Hilltop that I, I saw while Melissa was working there, there was a lot of drama there. And I, I see very little of that at Nacelle. It's It's been great. And the kids are really happy. 
they they fit in really well. It's um, I think they're valued a lot because that school's so small that if you can get an athlete, you're they're like yeah, win big win for us. And both of those kids are athletes, so people are happy to have them there. Yeah, it's been great. I, I really have zero complaints. And I really feel like as a teacher, always. I think it's about fit for your kids. And every kid, even like teachers, you know, there's been years where, you know, there are kids in my class and, you know, it's a great fit. And there are some kids that are just, I'm not their favorite flavor. And that's okay because you can't please everyone. It's like going to a restaurant. I always say I'm the waitress of knowledge. It's like sometimes you're just not eating what's on offer, you know, Mm -hmm. go Find your bliss, you know, and I really encourage parents to do that. If you want to homeschool, homeschool. If Zoom school is for you, you should do that. And that's the other thing I hope we hang on to is this idea of options. Mm -hmm. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And not making people feel bad because they make a a different decision. It's not personal. Get over yourself. You know what I mean? We are a service provider. You know what I mean? Customer service. It's like I work for you. Actually, I work for your child. You know, they're my client. Yeah, I guess. You know? yeah, truly, that's, truly. That's it. That's your true. tax dollars pay my salary. It's not the superintendent, really. So I really feel like I've always thought that. It's like I'm supposed to provide a service for your child. And if your child's happy, you in turn will be happy because that's your most valuable possession. That's who a good you point. let me have every day, which is really a, a big trust. And I take that very seriously. You know, I, I will, you know, I'll do whatever it is to keep your child safe. I mean, I just feel like that's a huge part of my job because it's the thing you love the most in the world. And yeah. I get to hang out with them and they're cool and they're fun. Yeah, they're, most of them are. Yeah. That's something though. It, teachers always say how they don't pick favorites, but let's get, let's get real. We know they do. So do you pick favorites or do they just emerge? I think it has to do with kids that get your jokes. Oh, for that's me. probably it. It's like... Like, it's just like all people. It's like you have this chemistry with people. You love all the kids, just like even your own kids. Like, my par- my parents were very clear who each of them had a favorite. They loved us and treated us all equally, but there was one they just related to more, mm-hmm. you know? So I find that at school where I love all the children, but there are certain kids that just get me better, and they seek me out, and we just have a lifelong relationship because, you know, I remind them of their mom or I remind them of an aunt or something. Or And so it's always funny to me, like the high school, their senior year, a lot of times they have the kids write a letter to a teacher. And I'm blown away every year by the kids that write the letters because it's not who I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually a kid who's super shy. And I'm a nightmare, I would think, if you were shy because I make you talk in class and I make you give speeches and I'm like you know, I'm larger than life. And I think that the kids that write me letters, they always say, I just felt like it was okay to be goofy in your class because you were so goofy. And it's a weird compliment, compliment. but I'll take it, you know, because that isn't my target audience. You know, I mean, I like the the naughty kid. I like the misbehaving kids. Yeah. Because- And I get it. You know, it's like, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an angry elf sometimes. And I struggled as, as like I said, because I was small and I just felt like I had to fight for everything. I'm the youngest of seven. And so I get that. I get that. But that anger can be challenged. You know, you, you can channel that I think and you were become the first, amazing. I think you were the first teacher that I remember in my brother's life that where he actually had a place where he could learn because he wasn't, it wasn't just like, distracted by discipline all the time he like he was obviously a handful um but he was he's smart 
So it was uh, really cool to see that I was, and I had almost written him off. I mean, I was in fifth grade, so what do I know? But at that time, I was like, oh, Jake in school, he's just always a handful. And then he was in your class, and all of a sudden, he was like coming home and actually working on projects and excited about stuff. And that was really cool to see. So I, I think that you definitely have a special skill for that type of kid um, where they just hadn't had anybody get through to him yet. It was like, no, we're here for you. Like, don't like, don't and, mix it up. And people are afraid of confrontation. And it's like, you know, there are kids you just have to have a conversation with. And it's like, I get it, but I'm going to win. Okay. Because you're angry, but I've had years to hone my skills, you know? And it's like, I care about you and you can keep testing and testing, but I'm not going to quit because and, and your brother had a lot and still does. You know, he is an amazing person. You know, I think he's so. got a lot of talent and a lot of energy. And I think, like a lot of kids, like at the beach, you get labeled mm-hmm. like, oh, you're a troublemaker. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll see about that. See what else you are. Yeah, because you are many other things. And I prefer the kid who throws the desk over than the kid who's apathetic. I don't know what to do with apathy. Yeah, like, if you either. just don't care, that's why teenagers are hard. You know, when they're like going in their room, moping, sad. It's like anger I can do because anger is energy and you can use that for other things. But apathy, apathy scares That's me the most. That's an energy vacuum. That scares me the most when I see kids who are, who are a little bit apathetic. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I love this idea of a podcast. I think it's great. I was just talking to Hannah. She said she was going to be a guest and, yes, you know, <laughs> And, and it's it's exciting. And so I hope that you get to interview all sorts of cool and groovy people because the peninsula is full of interesting people. I think so, too. That it's, uh, it seems to attract eclectic people. The My plan is to do one interview a week. And just so far, the only people who have, you know, the cojones to actually come out and sit in a small room during COVID are teachers. <laughs> it's It's really hard to get people. Um, I've had lots of people tell me no, and I, I really just think it's, well, I think a lot of it is COVID that also makes it an easy excuse, but, um, a lot of people just probably haven't ever come up against that option. Like, Oh, talk. And then just put it on the internet. Nah. Um, they don't well, want it's, to. It's very intimate actually, mm-hmm. you know, because when you're talking one-on-one, you forget that there's a larger audience. And again, we were talking a little bit earlier about this idea of censoring yourself and being authentic. And I think as a host, what I feel from you is you make it very easy okay. for me. I feel very comfortable chatting with you, even if I didn't know you. I think you're open. I think you're interesting. And I think you're interested. I am. And that I, I genuinely am interested in people. You're a curious person. Mm-hmm. And curiosity is a great trait to have because you learn so much. Like you were yeah. saying, you know, when you're open, it's you very exciting. You never get exciting. bored. You, no, there's no. just endless amounts of stuff to do. And people are multidimensional. Like we've talked about school, but we've talked about travel and we've talked about raising kids. And, you know, we all have so many levels. And, you know, with the right person – you can really get to that. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's almost uh, therapeutic. I think so too. That's, that was one of the biggest draws to me was like, it sounds like it feels so good to just talk to somebody. Um, I do not like small talk. I'm terrible at it. And it's always been a problem for me. It, I, I just like freeze up because 
I, it feels, it almost feels dishonest because, it, and I know it's not, and I know it's just, it's a thing that we do as people like to establish connections that aren't too deep, but they're deep enough to where I know you, but I don't have to deal with your problems. But um, I don't like that because I want to know the real person. I want, otherwise you're wasting my time. Like, but this is like, there's no small talk. We go right into the real stuff and we don't have to talk about the weather unless we want to. Like it's it's great, and I, I can do that one on one so well, and I, I just my brain loves it. It's just fun. But if I'm in a room with six people, I won't say a word. I'll just sit there and listen. I can't I can't f- filter through the conversations when the conver- when the group splits into more than one conversation. I don't know who to listen to. I don't I don't want to talk over somebody, so I'm not gonna you know. But it, it's just like I just don't like it. But this is just a whole other thing. I, it just fits well. Yeah. And I do think like I have to give a shout out to my sister because we were talking. Um, she lives in the Carolinas and we're about four years apart, but we are the same. Like our communication style is the same. And we talk on the phone for two hours and there's we feel like there's never enough time. Like we always have things to talk about because we're curious and we're different. And I think that's what's really cool about the podcast, too, is you get to talk to people that you might not talk to. And I think that's what's really fun for the listener. Like we were saying, I mean, you start doing books on tape, but podcasts are so cool because it is intimate and you get to learn about things and people that you might never, like at a party or something, you would never have the chance because there's too much going on. Exactly. Yeah. And so I love, I love this. I was so excited when Melissa asked me. I was like beside myself. So oh, I really so you thank yes. you so much for having me. I have like I a list of people this. who I'm too nervous to ask. And uh, Melissa was like, I'll just ask her. Uh, you're, you're very close to the top of the list. And it's, uh, it was really an honor to have you here. Yeah, no, it was great fun. So I wish you much success. And if there's anything that I can do to help, you know, get the word out. If you I have ideas for guests, let me know because that, that's really what's going to make it or break the show is just getting interesting people to just talk. And it's, it's really cool. But yeah, just like you said, the, our, the world used to be set up to where you were sitting and waiting with other people often, like for the tide to go out so you could fit, like go get clamped, whatever. Like the world just moved slower. They were on island time. And now everything is so streamlined and fast and efficient that unless you actually make a concerted effort to sit down and have a conversation with somebody, like go out on a date or do a podcast or like go to a therapy session, if you don't have an hour to sit down and like scheduled into your day, you have nothing but frivolous small talk with anybody all day. It's And it sucks. <laughs> so it's I wanted to change that. That's why we're here now. Yeah, so maybe the podcast will bring that back. Maybe I hope we'll so. go back to parlor days where we get together and – we have debate and we discuss different things and we appreciate, I, I mean, I think that the beauty of this too is it's like getting to know your community yeah. and you think it's one thing, but it's not. And maybe somebody doesn't know me and now they hear this and they're like, wow, you know, I really love roller skating too. I should reach out and see if she wants to go roller skating sometimes. So you could be, you know, connecting people too. Do they play the roller derby still? At, um, they no, don't do it? they didn't have enough money. Although you can still go roller skating after COVID at the Armory. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I like that place. 
That was uh, me and Melissa's first date was there. Did you go roller skating? We went to see the Holiday Friends. Um, oh, our good yeah. friend Scott. We were yep. just talking about that. He's on my list of people I'm nervous to ask. Oh, to I come could. On the show. I could do an. an I could do a, a shout out for that one too. He's Scott's another one who's really great because guy. when he was little, him and Jordan were in my class, and Scott was such a comedian even then. And Jordan was so shy, and the two of them were just a, a hoot and a half, you know. And it was funny to see, you know, Scott on the big stage. I thought that was really amazing. Yeah, Such he's fun. always seemed like a person who was uh, just destined to do something creative. He yeah. he's always been. He's just got a flair. He seems yeah. like an entertainer. Yeah, and Jan as well, like yeah. the brother too. Like he's he does he's interesting because he works for a tree service, mm -hmm. and that idea of shimmying up a tree, you know, and. That's an interesting job. Yeah. You know, I would I would love to do that. And maybe interview a kid at some point, too. I've thought about that. Like teenagers, mm -hmm. you know. One with a, a lot of followers on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> or like um, like Erin Glenn, I guess, you know, she does the school board reports now and she's mm -hmm. out there. Or, you know, just, just interesting. I'm trying to think there are so many cool kids that are really interesting. And they have you – like Blake – you know, last oh, Blake, year, Blake Kukula. Yeah, I Blake mean, would be a great guest. Because he was, like, you know, practically a professional golfer, you know. He's so. also a genius, so he'd have lots to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Except I'd be, I be with him, I'd be worried he wouldn't want to sound too smart. Because it almost seems like he's afraid people are going to realize he's too smart. Yeah. Um, but he, that kid is really bright. He's, he's fun to talk to. You could like that would be cool if Scott came on. And he could bring his guitar, and maybe you could even have a little music during your podcast. That would be cool. That would be very cool. Do you play an instrument? I do not. I don't come from a musical family. That's not, and I don't paint. But I'm a, and I'm, I'm an appreciator of both music and, of course, arts because I really like that. I think those of us who can't really appreciate that in other people because it's something we aspire to. Yeah, I've always been in that same yep. boat. Yep. I, I've always really wanted to do the, all of those things, but just never did. And so um, I've, I really appreciate it in other people yeah. too. Yeah. It's that funny thing about pushing. Do you wish your parents would have pushed you into the musical genre? And what would have happened if they had, like to learn to play the piano or to take an instrument? My parents were not of that type they were athletic they liked that we play sports they mm -hmm. thought that was good but they didn't come to our games or anything nor would we have wanted them to really back in the day it was just like oh god my dad's here oh, god. <laughs> go home you're embarrassing me yeah you know? where now parents go to everything i know you know and like when we were 18 our parents were like bye time to go and you did you either went to mm -hmm. college or you left and well there I, was jobs out there to go right, get right and now there is not <laughs> yeah very 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 different all right. Well, I won't take up any more of your time, but it was so fun. And Are you I leaving really already? enjoyed it. I'm sure, you, we've been here over an hour. I was going to do longer if you have the time. <laughs> I want to ask you a couple more things. If okay. You, if you need to leave, that's okay, though. No, no. You I got, just don't want to take up all your time. Oh, no. I, this is, I've been planning this, this all day. This is what I'm doing today. <laughs> um, I literally have just been setting up the room and getting everything going all day. I was excited. This is cool. Um, so you talked about how people are multidimensional and we've done a lot of talking about education, but what are some of the other dimensions of you that we might not know about? Um, I love to write. Um, I love to write short stories. I love characters. I love the idea of, you know, sort of like edgy, like all my characters have big voice and have a lot of edge to them. So I like that. I love to travel. I've, I've been lucky as a teacher 
that I've traveled a great deal. And my favorite country, I would have say, is Spain. I love the Spanish. They're very warm. They're very passionate. The food is fantastic. So I go in the summer and I teach English to business people in, in Spain. Spain. Yes. Wow. And there's a program that people should check out. It's called um, Valde la Via. And what they do is you go, you pay your airfare, and then for a week, you're on, like, a beautiful property, like a hotel that's got, like, a swimming pool. And there's 14 Anglos, that's people from all over the world, like Irish, English, Australian, American. Right. So you're going to teach English to, you know, 14 Spanish business people. So they want as many different accents as they can get. And so basically your day is, you know, you meet Maria and you go for a walk and you talk to Maria about religion, about politics, because that's that higher level. Then you're done after an hour and you pick up Juan and you and Juan go and maybe you go have a beer and you talk some more. Then you have a huge lunch and a siesta and then you talk some more. And then we do theater activities, you know, and you're in place. And it's so fun because people who love to talk, like I do, you do that all day long. I mean, by day seven, you're exhausted. Well, I'm but then sure you are, but all the people good. you've met, they're like, you have to come to my village. We have the best hamon. You must come. And they bring you there and you stay in their house and they tour everywhere. And, you know, I'm still in touch with a lot of the people that I teach. Wow, that sounds great. But you cannot speak Spanish. If you know Spanish, you can't go. Oh, because wow. the students will try to cheat uh-huh. because it's exhausting. I've done it the other way around where I've done a full immersion for Spanish. Mm-hmm. It just didn't stick. So have, did you go try any of the jamon? Of course. How was it? It was fantastic. I bet. Smoky and delicious. Yeah. It's good jamon. It always is. But I think I play roller derby. Talk to you about that. That's kind of a different side of me. And I like sports too. I'm very big into health and nutrition. Do you still roller skate often? I do. I do. That's, that's I like awesome. to roller skate. I love roller skating. One time we took the kids to uh, have a birthday party at the armory there, and I had not roller skated before. This is just like two years ago. And um, I decided I was going to try it. And I had ice skated before, and that did not go well. So I'm, I'm kind of top-heavy. I fall a lot. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I get on these roller skates, just figuring it's going to be kind of a hard learning curve. But, no, I'm a natural. I skate like the wind. So I'm just I'm just cruising, doing my thing, and um, the kids start as they're getting tired. They're filtering off. They're going off to have pizza or whatever. And I see Melissa trying to wave me around, wave me back, and I'm like, I'm gonna do a couple more laps, just a couple more laps. And they've got the disco on, and I'm just in my zone. And um, it was really hot in there, and so like I'm I'm a sweaty guy, and it's just pouring off me. <laughs> and um, so I mean, I got a little overconfident. Come around a corner, a little hot slip and fell hard in the corner um i managed to get up people saw but i was i figured i pulled it off without being too embarrassed come up around a couple more laps and then um the lights come on and they're telling everybody to get off the floor and um i see some the janitors coming out with a mop bucket and apparently somebody had spilled a glass of water over there in the corner by where i fell and people were sliding through it and crashing because the ground was all wet it was actually because i fell and splashed my sweaty body on the floor and created a mess that they had to stop the whole program to bring out the mop bucket 
Wow. That's like, usually people say they're sweaty, but to leave like a, <laughs> yeah. a mark, man, a puddle, not a mark, a puddle. Point of the story is I go hard. So if you ever want somebody to roller skate with <laughs> yeah. who knows what they're doing and really going to yeah. put in effort. Yeah. You got my number. Yeah. No, it's super fun. And it's and and just like like fitness in general, roller skating is really good. Yeah, it's for great. Your, yeah. And it's fun. Like you said, the dancing and the thing. And you know, I, I hope more people get into it again. I wanted us to open a rink here. I was super sad when we got rid of bowling. So it's like yeah, no bowling, too. no roller skating in a rainy place. You know, there should be some cool, fun indoor things to do. It's Maybe really we not. should open a roller rink. There you go. Could probably do it in here. Ah, probably. You know, we could just charge an admission. Yeah, we could. We could. It's a business opportunity. It really would be. Um, Or you know, what make a great one is the Kino Gym. It's a little small. It's too small. But I thought about it. I when I first got into derby because I needed to practice, I got special permission to do the track because the track had just been redone. So I had to buy these special wheels and, you know, Bruners that I could do it. And so there would be people that would stop and say, "It's sad still roller skates." I'm like, I have special permission. Have you ever read my my things? I'm the queen of Hilltop. I can do whatever I want here. <laughs> but it would be nice to have a place to go. It would. You it know, really a would. big pole building. It wouldn't I take know. much. I, I, I'm thinking. Where do I'm teenagers thinking. hang out nowadays? We used to hang out in the woods. Yeah, me too. But I guess that's probably still where they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. But it's hard here because it rains. It rains yeah. all the time. Exactly. But yeah, I like, I love, I don't run anymore. You know, I had I had to have some heart surgery, so I had to give up running. But I do walk. I walk everywhere. And it's amazing here. Like, What I was the heart the surgery, house. if you don't mind me asking? Um, when I was young, I had a little bit of a heart defect. I had a mitral valve prolapse. So this is a little bit of a PSA. A lot of people have it. You can live with it your whole life and never had a problem. But I had kind of a problem. So you get like a regurgitation, the blood isn't flowing. And so they do open heart surgery. And I did not want to have the zipper. So I worked really hard to find someone who did minimally invasive surgery. Like and arthroscopic? So, no, they they cut oh, kind of like the side spot. of your chest and then go all the way across, but they still put you on bypass. And um, I mean, a totally different subject, but you know, your heart is is being run by a machine for a while and when you come back you're not the same what what's different it's kind of like a grinch moment you know like like and part of it's because you know you consider that a near death but i was i was kinder something changed like Mm -hmm. something in me changed and i don't know if it was just like having that kind of brush i mean i i cry i never cried and then i started crying again and just just felt different you Maybe know? it's like when you have to unplug the, the router and yeah. you plug it back in and it, it just resets and you remember like, oh, I'm a human being. I have emotions. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was a good thing for me. It was really good. It, it, and it also made you kind of realize like like I got super, like I said, I quit drinking. Not that I was a heavy drinker, but I just thought, you know what? I'm 50 years old. Maybe I get 35 years if I'm lucky. I want to be aware of every single moment. Like, I don't want to dull anything. And the first, I think we don't realize what, you know, when we, you know, I was listening to your conversation with Jeff Hilton and this idea of this self-medicating. And even if it's subtle, it's numbing a little bit and you're not fully present. Yeah. But the hard thing is, is, is that means it's like having raw nerves because on Friday nights when, you know, the staff goes out, 
I'm drinking club soda and everyone else is relaxed and I'm still like white knuckle in that club soda, but I feel everything. Mm. The good, the bad, like my joys are greater, you know, my sadnesses are deeper and just really holding yourself accountable. That's a pretty good philosophy. I think that's really healthy. And I don't even, I don't know if that's perfect for everybody, but I think that's definitely a good option, especially if you're somebody who, who does struggle with those things. And like, I, I really feel the best when I'm 90% sober. And I say 90% because I'm probably still going to have caffeine in my system. And it's, uh, I'm still going to, you know, when it on occasion, still going to use those substances, but I'm not going to think about it all day. Like that time of my life is over. <laughs> I'm, it's, it's, it's not going to infiltrate and be the most important thing in my world ever just because I, re- I recognized a, a young enough age that this stuff is dangerous. Not because it's going to kill me because I'm smart enough to do it safely, but because it's going to ruin your life. It's going to ruin your – it's going to steal your priorities and it's no good. Yeah, in relationships, you know, it is really mm-hmm. good to be fully present for the people in your life who love you. Yeah. You know, and I think they deserve that. They you do. Know? But I really feel like to me it's like people are like, oh, is it okay if I drink? I'm like, you can do whatever you want as long as you're old enough. I just think this is – it's like, you know, it's so funny when you don't drink because our society is so pro-alcohol. And it's so funny because if I said I didn't smoke – like cigarettes, people would be like, oh, yeah, cool. Those are bad for you. Mm-hmm. You know, but when you don't drink, they're like, oh, why not? Blah, blah, oh, you must like, have something wrong with you. Right, right, yeah. right. And and it, and it really is because it's legal. And it's interesting to see that happen with marijuana, you know, because my yeah, both is. my siblings were more pot smokers than drinkers. And they were just easier. Yeah. You know, drinkers are tough. People who are heavy drinkers, it's, it's a much more personality change. Do you think that marijuana is a gateway drug? Like, would you, with your kids, what would you... I would say yes, but with some caveats. So I, I don't love the term gateway drug because that implies that it, it's like a... Stepping stone or something. Yeah, it almost implies like it's a direct path. Like, if you use one, you're eventually going to move on to the other. And that's just not true. But it definitely does make it easier if you're a person who regularly uses cannabis, you're way more likely to try other stuff than someone who never would use cannabis because that's the lowest, uh, like socially, I mean, in society, that's like the first drug that people try because it's like the least, I don't know, is it because it's the cheapest or it's the least scary? Easiest to get access maybe. And I used to think it was because like before pot was legal, you had to go see your drug dealer and he has other stuff. Uh So it's like a one-stop shop where now we're cannabis is regulated and you go in, that's all you get. It's probably less of a gateway that way. I think so. And I think I think that there are just two it's very rare that someone is either equally drinky and smoky. They're either one or the other. Mm-hmm. And it's personality type too, I think, which totally. is really interesting. Because I remember in high school it was like athletes that were more the drink the drinkers and had the drinking parties where, you know, the people who smoked had their own kind of crowd. They were more into music. To be honest, you know, a lot More of More creative them, people. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think it's interesting. It's hard to to help kids with those decisions now. You know, it's like I, I'm surprised that we see it at the middle school. I think that's young. Oh, that sucks. Same for, like, physical stuff. I think I really wish we could convince people that 
it'll all be over soon enough. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. you want those things to look forward to. Yeah. You know, and if you do it all by the time you're 14, A, you're going to be a little jaded and B, you know, what are you going to be excited about? You have to yeah. amp it up. That's when kind and of those problems happen. On top of that, just you're inserting a, a variable into an already very confusing mess of variables, like the hormones at that age and just most people's lives at that time are chaotic. So it's just, it's a bad time to introduce that kind of foreign invader into right. your mind. And it's like self-medicating. And that's what I think we find is if we've used a substance to kind of take the place of dealing with those feelings, that's where you stop. Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, when those things happen that upset you, the only thing you know to do is to, you know, medicate yeah. because you haven't learned those hard skills. And it's, it's tough. It, you know, really, it really is. Life is hard, but it's, it's like I said, I just love being fully present. I love that I have to feel, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not religious. I'm definitely spiritual and I'm super grateful during the rough times. Cause it's like, you know what? I'm glad I can cry, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm glad I can identify this emotion. And I learned, you know, I didn't do anything foolish, you know, I've worked through it and I have this toolkit to handle things. And I think it just makes you a better person. It makes you a better friend. It makes me a better teacher. It does really help. I love you know? I love that perspective because it seems like you've kind of transcended this specific moment and realized like what your life is in the big picture. It's like, I have this life. I'm so lucky that I got this. Like we don't really even know what a life is or like we don't know what's before or after. We just know this moment is here now and I get to be in it. And it's a really cool thing. Yeah, and enjoying, like, what you're doing, you yeah. know. And there's so much fun. That's what I can't get over. Like, when I think about, you know, how many times during the day, like, especially my job, it's so fun. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids are so fun, and they're so funny. And it's, like, a blessing to Life go into work every day. if you day. let it be. Yeah, yeah. And yes, there are terrible. Yes, I get it. I get it. You know, I'm not a Pollyanna. I've lived a hard life. I've seen terrible things. But those are growth opportunities too. And just to think, you know, you came out on the other side of that. Yeah. You know, you did that. You know, you had you had family and you had people that loved you and supported you. Or maybe you had to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But you did it. And I think, like, I'm just going to go back to that interview with Jeff Hilton. I just found that so profound because... It is hard to love yourself. It's one of the hardest things to do. And and I just think, like, I think we so badly want to convince people that they're they're lovable. And it's like, that has to come from you. And and I think I have a lot of respect for therapists and counselors because I don't know how you do that. I don't either. That's why I'm not one. I was, that. that's what I was, so I was either going to be a, a therapist or a teacher. Those were the things that I was going to do. You'd be a good teacher. I was going to say that. That was my first choice. Um, I was in Teach for America the my senior year of college. I went through the whole application process and got th- through all the rounds of cuts, uh, which was pretty cool. I was really excited to do it, and it had been my plan for a long time. But And I got the job. Um, I did really well on my licensing exams, so I got um, – I forgot what they called it – highly qualified status. So I got to – I get paid more and all this stuff. It was really, it, was, it worked out perfectly, except for the fact that I graduated in March. The job starts in August and I'm unemployed and broke for those, the, for the interim. So I was like, I, I can't take the job. I don't have any money to move. I don't have, I have zero, like, so I, I deferred for a year and then I ended up 
getting married and having all just my life went a different direction and I never ended up doing it. Um, but yeah, that was my plan. That's what I wanted to do. I, I've always just think, seen education as as a no brainer is like that should be the most important thing our society should focus on because whatever is fucked up right now, we can fix it with these kids. Like we just got to teach them what to do and let them go. Like we that's the biggest tool we have as a society is education. And so you said you were thinking of counseling as well. What made oh. you interested in that? Well, I so I decided for some reason to study psychology in college. And it was really just because I wanted to fix my depression and uh, or figure it out or better understand myself and my family and the people around me, and uh, which I accomplished all those things. But I really never wanted to be a counselor or a therapist because it's too sad. I, uh, I have too much empathy to, to be able to handle that emotionally. I feel people's pain really strongly. And um, I don't always, sometimes people don't want to hear the right answer. That, and that's what a therapist needs to give them. So I, I'm way more comfortable just being like a listener. Just be like, all right, go ahead. And I don't know, I'm sure there's people who are close to me who would say, yeah, right, you're always trying to fix my problems. Just, um, but it's the idea of doing that every day as a career. Uh, it would just, it seems like it would just drain you. And it was, I just couldn't see myself doing it. But, um, I still like, I just wanted to know that stuff. I wanted to be able to do that, but not have to do it. Right. And I think a lot of times we're interested in things to fix ourselves. Yeah. And, and, you know, we all come from families and we have families of origin and that's a big part too. I think that there is something to be said for where you are in the order. You know, if you're a middle child or an older or younger and what you're, what your role is in that family. Like, were you the fixer in your family? Were you the one that was the competent one that was going to help everybody else when times got tough? And I'm very intrigued by that. Like, I always think, like, when I retire, what will be my second act? Mm -hmm. And I am really, I'm intrigued by brain science. I like the neurology of it all. Like, it's like addiction we were talking about and just like depression and anxiety. There's so much more we know about it now than we used to. And you can see it, you know, in the brain and like new and controversial treatments like, you know, using mushrooms and psychedelics for things like yeah. for post-traumatic stress. And That's, there's some pretty amazing research being done right now. Yeah. And, and I, I'm really intrigued by all of that. But I also like this. I'm very intrigued by the world of podcasts. I've always wanted to have my own talk show because I love talking to people. I would I listen to your talk so show. Interesting. I, it, it would probably be really good. Yeah. But this is, I'm just going to live vicariously through you. Well, then you're just going to have to come back and do more episodes. Yeah. But I'm going to, I have some guests. I already have oh, ideas perfect. like Mr. Bloom. He knows oh, a lot about the peninsula and he's funny and he's got all sorts of funny stories. He would be really good. Tom Trudell would be a good one too. Tom would be good. I was thinking about him when you were uh, saying the thing about your heart um, and yeah. how you, you, the Grinch effect. Uh, not to say at all that Tom was a Grinch before his heart surgery, but he used to blow up every once in a while. Um, and not often, but it was something you'd see. And after that, I just felt like he was a different dude. He just had a kind happy vibe about him and he's yeah he was always everyone's favorite teacher my out of my friend group in high school he was like the guy people really just really liked his class 
Yeah, I feel so blessed to work with the colleagues I've had the opportunity to work with. I mean, there are Mickey Frace is a fabulous She's teacher. Great. Martha Williams was a great Wonderful teacher. She lady. had so much energy. Suzanne Knutson. Another one of my favorites. Kathy and Kip Meinhart. You know a lot of good people. The the Ocean Park teachers were um, Betty Arn. I mean, those were that was that whole Ocean Park staff, and they were amazing. Lynn Wielden is a great teacher. I mean, I never had her as a teacher, you know, but she's a nice. Your wife is a fabulous teacher. Kindergarten and first grade is the perfect fit. Melissa was lovely in the middle school, but she was so kind. It's like those little kids deserve that. You know, yeah, I really can't think of a, a person who'd heart. be better. Amy Curry. I mean, I can't think of a teacher that I don't have so much regard and respect for. I think we're so lucky to have such a great staff at our, our building, and they all really love kids, and everybody's different. You know, so there's, it, there's a fit for everybody. It's you been know? so cool to come into that culture and world um, as a, the husband of a teacher and actually knowing a lot of these people already from being a student in the district. It's it's cool because I get to see another side of a lot of these people who I already really liked. And you get to know a teacher really well, but only under certain conditions. So it, there are like these sides of them you, you just have no idea even exist. So it's it's been awesome like to get to go to staff events and sit and talk to Suzanne Knutson. Uh, like she was my kindergarten music teacher and now I'm married to her coworker. And it's just, the world is, is crazy. You never know what's going to happen. It's people come in and out of your lives. It's, I was cool. talking to the kids today about code switching. And like as teachers, we do that a lot mm-hmm. because like when you're my student, I'm Mrs. J and, you know, it's very formal and you don't know about, you know, what my personal life is. You know, you might run into me at a game or something. But then once you graduate, we can be Facebook friends. You know, I will come to your house, you know, for a celebration or something. And it's weird in my brain to make that switch because kids freeze at their age. That you had them, you know. So, you know, you'll always be the dumpy sheriff. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Um, When we were getting prepped for this, Melissa was like, oh, she'll definitely bring up the dumpy sheriff thing. (laughs) And so for the listeners who are unaware and you didn't catch the production, I played a sheriff. I was a small part in a play called My Son is Crazy but Promising, a major production at Owaco High School in 2004, 3, somewhere around there. But, um, yeah, I played the sheriff, which I was actually uh, shocked that I got that part because I thought William Roth had it in the bag, (laughs) and so did he. Um, Sorry, William. And uh, it was really fun. Uh, Megan Saunders was my counterpart in that one. I remember that being a really, really fun production because you let us add stuff and improvise, and uh, it was a blast. I think your sister was in that, too. Chi-Chi Vazoom. Yeah, yeah. She wore these very tight spandex. <laughs> she was like a channeling Peg Bundy. <laughs> yes, it was a hoot. And I and can't Patrick remember. Patrick Tomberlin, oh, P-Tom. Oh, yep, yep, yep. He was a Oysters Rockefeller, the yep. mobster. Yeah. No, that was fun. I loved high school theater. And I, Mr. Reuter, another huge shout out. What an amazing He's a great guy. We did Grease. I mean, that was incredible. And But I love acting. And I think it's fun to, because you do typecast sometimes. And, and it was funny. The full story is, is that you, you were a bigger fella. Oh, yeah. You know, I was stocky. I was thick. <laughs> and then Melissa, who is my friend, and we worked together, you know, she, she was getting together with you. And you, we're at school, and 
I was amazed. I mean, very fit, very, you know, looks great. You know, they were an adorable couple. And so I would tell her, I'm like, you need to lock that down. You need to make sure that you don't let him get away because, you know, I I have a lot of respect for you anyway, and she's lovely. And so you made a lovely couple. And so it's very nice to see that it's all working out. She really did take that to heart, though, uh, because the... It, it, we all we moved fairly fast because it just fit so well from the very beginning. And now when we talk about it, we're like, did I really move in after like a month or two? That's no, that can't be right. But it happened fast, um, and it didn't feel weird. Nope. And, you know but, when you know. Yeah, and but she'll cite that as like one of the reasons she because she had been just like going through the motions and making sure that the right amount of time has passed between calling and then you know before they go out you know you know the rules of dating but she's just like yeah i just kelly was right i just it when it works it works and i just decided to just go for it well and you know not for nothing but it's eligible bachelors on the peninsula are not a dime a dozen oh yeah you know if you find a good one I always recommend, yeah, you know. Yeah. That, There's not a lot of people around. And you two were super compatible, yeah. you know, and, and the timing was right. It was. It was very it, right. It was very perfect. Everything just kind of fell into place. Yeah. Uh, it's been life-changing. It's yeah. been a great five years. Uh, the last, yeah, really the last five years have been wonderful. And as crazy as it, as it is to say, 2020 has been the, was the greatest year of my life. Um, and I made more money. I like I got along better with my family. I like it was a really good year for me. It's sad to see the world in flames, uh, literally and figuratively. But yeah, it's I it wasn't the same everywhere. I was blessed. Well, and I think it's like any year. Like like we were saying, like the year I had heart surgery, my niece also died in a car accident. You know, I w- was involved in a bad breakup, and it was like 2016 was not a great year for me. 2020 was much better. You know, I learned a lot of new skills. It's like you, it's like I reach out more to people now. I've gotten closer. So I think it's, I thought it was kind of weird that we kind of, we needed a scapegoat and 2020 became it. And then I think I got caught up in that because I'm like, oh, 2021, it's going to be great. And then we had an insurrection. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. It's not the number on the calendar. It's it's whatever happens to you at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, like our whole staff, like everybody seemed to go on a fitness craze. People look better than they've ever looked. That's They're good. well rested. They've been eating healthy, making sourdough bread, and <sighs> just really finding, you know, their, you know, inner spirit or whatever. And so it's funny. I think that's so interesting that you brought that up because it's really a mixed bag of tricks. Yeah, there's been some really great parts about it. Like the fact that we get to see our families a lot more and we get to do what we want to do with our time. Because as long as you're still meeting your responsibilities, you you can arrange your day however you want. A, A lot of people. Yeah. But And I also think like we're so busy being busy that we don't really think about the quality of what we're doing. It's like, well, we have to we have to go out. Like Jerry Seinfeld is a great thing about going out. You can't wait to go out, but then once you're out, you can't wait to get home. You know, and then yeah. as soon as you get home, you're waiting to go out. And it's like, out where? Yeah. You know, where now it's like you really think because the options are limited. And how do you want to spend that time? And really, I like I think that that's what this podcast probably came out of. It's like you had some time and you really missed people. It was really, I didn't have time, but I just missed people enough to not, to make it not matter. <laughs> I was like, 
I am so busy all the time, but the my drive for creativity kind of meshed with my need for socialization because I just miss people. I, I can't handle just being in my head 24-7. I'm pretty isolated, and I'm, I'm a pretty uh, introverted person. So I, I need time alone, which is weird to say because I get so much of it, I never have to advocate for it. But um, I actually need time with people. Like, the, I got too much time by myself. Well, your gig, your job is a lonely job. I, yeah, I work by myself almost all the time. See, uh, I could never see, and I'm the opposite. It's like I, you know, when it's normal school, we see a hundred people, and so by the time I get home, it's like, oh, I just need a little bit of time. Yeah. But then by Friday, I'm like, ooh, where are the grown-ups? You know. But for you, you're alone. Does it get lonely, or does it suit you? It suits me. I would, I would say it gets lonely, but I don't ever get lonely. I just miss talking to people. I miss people talking to me. Um, like that's it. But I really love spending time alone. I just have a lot to do in my head, and that's you can't. I can't do it when there's people around. So what do you do? Like, so your job, you're out and about in nature. Mm-hmm. So when you're out there, what are you thinking about? Uh, lately, money. <laughs> oh. um, the last year, I have tried to decide. Okay, so I got tired of being poor a um, long time ago, and so I was like, all right, well, I just need to get a really good job. Sends me a paycheck regularly and then I'll be set and so I did that but I still felt like I was kind of broke because I just didn't have any money management skills and I was just spending my paycheck every month and not really saving I was living fine I wasn't struggling but um I had I just didn't feel like if if something catastrophic happened I would have been screwed so um like two years ago I opened a saving not savings but yeah it started as a savings account just to put 400 bucks a month in there until it was big enough to turn it into an IRA. And then that now that's growing. And then when I saw that there, because um, I have Edward Jones manage that for me, it's my retirement, I don't touch it. I'm like, why couldn't I just do that? The technology allows me to do that as easily as this guy now. Um, so I, I, there's no reason I can't. So I got the, the Cash App, uh, which lets you buy fractional shares of stocks. So you don't have to buy a whole share of Amazon at whatever, thousands of dollars. You can just spend $10. So I was like, I can afford to do that. And I just started with a little bit of Tesla. And just from there, I've just been growing my portfolio. And I got obsessed. So now I just I read about the stock market a lot. And um, I started getting into cryptocurrency. And Bitcoin is very exciting. I really think that there's going to be a major institutional shift to digital currencies in the next 10 years. Yeah, and they've been saying that for a long time. I love that idea. I do a stock market game with the kids. Mm-hmm. And what it really is, is it's like, are you a trend spotter? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, I think I am not, you know, that is not my game. And I always laugh because it's like, I think about all the trends that have come out that I've totally had the opposite. Like when cell phones came out, I'm like, who would want that? I'm like, that's annoying. Like, I don't even like talking on the phone. Who would ever? And like, we used to have Nike sneakers, you know, leather sneakers. We're like, ugh. that's outrageous, you know? And then these things become trendy, and I am the antithesis of all things trendy. Things that people think are great, I think are dumb. I'm just like, that's outrageous. 
ridiculous. So Well, then when you do stuff, you're probably the one who's setting the trends because that's what it takes. There's like a certain person in each one of those roles and somebody has to be cool. Otherwise, yeah. we don't know who to look yeah. at. Yeah. Well, it's the influencer. Yeah. I'm totally intrigued by that idea of an influencer. Like what? Because I tell my kids, I'm like, you guys could do like, I can't believe like the girls that were in eighth grade. It's like, why don't you just make a makeup video? I'm like, they'll give you free stuff. You know, there's all these opportunities now for young people. Like I have a couple of kids who are designing video games. Oh, cool. And then they're getting other kids to like sign on and stuff. And it's like, that's what I thought when we first had technology. I'm like, I wasn't thinking cat videos and being mean to people. I was thinking you have the world at your fingertips now. It's like I said, your podcast, somebody in France could listen to this. Somebody did. One person. All over the world because... You're going to find your niche now. Everybody has that opportunity. And I just thought people were going to use it more like you did. Like you saw somebody investing money and you're like, hey, wait a minute. I can, I'm a smart person. I can figure that out. And so and it I'm sure. turned out to be something I love. Well, and then you have to figure out, you know, what's the stock's going to do? Like the whole, you know, GameStop thing and, and what yeah. happened with that. That was crazy. That, it was crazy. I haven't had a chance to look today what's going on with that. But, but the stock has like tanked because now oh. they're like, they're they're all, everybody's mad. Well, they these. can only sell. I saw this morning they're, they're only letting them sell it and not. That right, seems illegal. Right. And now they're furious about that because they're micromanaging the – but it's so interesting. So I'm so intrigued that you're doing that. And the Bitcoin thing, just – I listened to – I think it was even a podcast and it just was a lot of information. Mm-hmm. I don't think I fully digested it. Yeah. I think I really did It took really me literally years to understand. Get it. It's like I kind of understood like the big concept – but like the ID number, and if you lose the ID number, you now don't have access, and and the and it's very volatile. Yeah. And how do you predict? You know, is it is it disasters that cause it to go up? It's it's really very intriguing. So I'll be. There's very a lot curious. of things to consider, though. You're right, but the, with the predicting thing, it's like it's hard because it's it doesn't follow the stock market completely. It does some to some degree, but not really. Uh, some on some like measures, it's actually opposite. It'll go whoops, but yeah. And then like just understanding what it is that you're purchasing. Uh, that was a big roadblock for me it's not a to adoption. Thing. No, it's a representation of value. Right, and like I think I was watching, and they had this room full of like computers, and they're generating all the Bitcoin information yeah. so it's not a it's not a tangible but there's a place that you can sort of like Those, I said it was kind yeah. of a mind boggler if you try to think about it like regular money it, it gets really confusing really fast but if you just think about it like they're basically treating computing power as a currency so like every machine has so much computing power and if you add a bunch together you have that much more and so they want the Bitcoin system wants to use your machine to to harness that some of that computing power to operate the network, which is a big dispersed across the whole planet. And so the more of those they call them mining rigs, but the more of those you have operating, the more transactions you can process. And so and every time you process a transaction, they pay you for it in Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is generated by the actual transactions taking place 
And so the Bitcoin miners make money and then also the people who are trading in the currency make money. So would it go up the more internet that's being used kind of thing? So like during this COVID period with the Zoom and everybody, you need so much power to run this. Mm -hmm. Would that increase its value or it's not a correlation? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, actually. Yeah. I I just – so there's a really – there's a direct correlation between the cost of energy and – the value of Bitcoin. So sometimes mining Bitcoin is profitable and other times it's not, depending on the cost of power and where you're doing it and the value of the of the coins. So now the new president is talking a lot, which I love because I'm an environmental person, about alternative energy. So with that, because that will impact the cost, will that then influence Bitcoin? I think definitely. It, like if, if energy costs go down, more people will be mining Bitcoin and Bitcoin will get cheaper. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. I think. It's so interesting. It is. It is really interesting. I'm, I love that you like so many different things, you know. It's, it's fun. Like, Life is I fun. I always say I'm kind of, you know, I, I don't have a, a, you know, single track of conversation. It's like there's so many things that I could talk about that I want to learn about. And so I'm always excited when somebody knows something. And it's like I know a little bit about that, but I'd like to know more about that. That's pretty much how I am about everything. I learn like as much as I can um, until I lose interest and move on to the next thing. But I want to know as much as I can while while I'm here. There's just endless amounts of things that interest me. Yeah, and that might be kind of a cool thing to do with your podcast too is think about like once once you start to fill up your guest list, then you can like branch outside and sort of think about wouldn't it be cool to have somebody who knows a lot about Bitcoin come on and do it. And, you know, it would kind of – kind of be like a knowledge seeking thing for that's, you. That's my goal. But I'm right now I'm still not even confident enough to ask people who are yeah. who are experts in the things I'm interested in. But someday I will. Well in talk shows that that would be a fun job for me too. It's like mm-hmm. that's they get the guests. That's their job is to find the guests. So now I'm I feel like I'm on a mission. I'm like, oh I should make a list tonight about interesting people that I think would be fun for Jeff to talk to. That would be great. <laughs> and I, I can sell it. it because it is so fun. And I think people are always nervous until you make them like that's my role in my friend group is it's like I come up with a wacky idea. And at first, nobody wants to do it. But once you do it a couple of times and they have a really good time, then you've got street cred. Mm-hmm. So it's like, let's do this. And they're like, well, Kelly said we should do this. We should probably do this because last time we did something, it was fun. I'm like, of course. I think having you on the show is going to be a major bolstering for me because uh, I don't think people really know who I am or what I am um, because I've, I've just worn a lot of different hats. Um, so they're a little skittish as far as wanting to come on here because they don't want me to I, – I think maybe I'm unpredictable for people right. who don't Right, so I've given me. you some authenticity. Well, just because – And you can be trusted. You're not yeah. going to trick anybody. No, not unless you're, not you're one of my very close friends. You're not going to make anybody look foolish. You're very professional. Mm-hmm. Plus, I know where you live now and I'm dangerous. So. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I would, I always, I would not I always like to you. tell people, you know, it's not today, it's not tomorrow, but someday something's going to happen and you're going to remember this moment and say my name. I just got chills. <laughs> so that's usually effective. Because mm-hmm. why do it when someone's expecting it? East Coasters, harsh people. Yes, you have to have connections mm-hmm. and you have to follow through. My friend Ed is from New Jersey. And like, I, he's, he's the person I probably see the most outside of my family. Um, and he's got a very similar vibe. Like it's a, it's almost like an honor culture. Yeah. But not as 
not as many honor killings like the what is that the Hatfields and McCoys or, yeah yeah or, yeah and it is interesting I mean I do think like when you do you know if you're Italian and you live on the east coast you're connected in some way you know it could be something small maybe someone in your family's a bookie or you know someone you know works for somebody's uncle or whatever but it is a respectable mafia you know because it's loyalty you know, it's not random. It's, you know, when you're going to play the game with people, you know, you have to be careful because they're dangerous people and, and you may have to make sure that you don't cross them. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's just a good idea and it keeps everybody with a bit of integrity, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's very insular in many ways and very close-knit, which is really kind of nice. I like my Italian culture mm-hmm. and my Irish culture. I'm a first-generation American. My mother was born in Northern Ireland in Derry, and a lot of her family was involved in the IRA, and my father was born in Italy, in okay. Naples. So, and so how did they meet, and how did they end up over here? Um, my father was in the Navy, and he met my mother in Ireland, and then she came over. And, so, and what year was that? Oh, gosh. Uh, World War II, so the, the 40s. Wow. Yeah, my parents are a bit older. Are they know? alive still? No. Oh, that nope. would be nope. Nope. incredible. Nope. <laughs> but. Yeah, I lost my mother very young. She, I was 15. Mm. Oh, that must so, have been horrible. Which is why, like much like you, like school became very important to me. They were, mm-hmm. the, my teachers were like my family. And, you know, sports. Again, I love that analogy because it is. You You are all working for a common goal, and it really does bond you to people, and they really do take good care of you. I like that you did crew, too. That's a cool sport as Yeah, well. I'm glad I did it. It was, I mean, it was worth, it was worth the misery. <laughs> and did you get very... Oh, I was jacked. It was yeah. great. I miss it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised. I, I, I was listening to your podcast yesterday. The way you talked about it, I thought like you had gained 40 pounds. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm so squishy. I'm so... I just used to be in really good shape. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not in as good of shape now. So it's like that thing you need to rechannel that energy. Yeah. Of like like you said, you know, yes, getting up in the morning to run is miserable, but you feel so much better after you do. You need an exercise buddy. That's what you need. Yeah, that is what I need. Only Get I have Jeff, Jeff Hilton, but yep. he's he's too strong. I can't work out with him. He's 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 gonna crush me with weights or something. He's just he's out of my league. He's just too big. What about your brother? I've tried. He he's not. He doesn't want to. He's do not it. highly motivated. He's motivated to do spend his energy in other ways. So he's he's restoring cars and taking on side jobs. He's always working. Will he be a guest? Definitely. And your dad for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So you've got good family. Your sisters too. Mm-hmm. What's Tawny doing these days? Tawny recently moved back to Long Beach. Oh, very With her nice. husband Sam. I love her. And they are they're kind of just figuring out what they're trying to do, what their next move is going to be. How many years does she have? She is done I, with school, um, and it, the last year has been kind of weird, but... Well, for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think she's done done. Is she 20? She is 25. Yes, yeah, I lose track. Me too. <laughs> well, because it's just like, because I've, you know, I, I don't know, it's like, I'm like, what year did they graduate? Which group was that? Yeah. You know, it's funny to think of them as, as adults. It is. You know? well, like the kids that I coached in track, um, that I did that for two years. The first, well, that's how I met Melissa. Right. And, um, oh, that eighth grade class. That yes. was Blake Kukula's class. Yes. The um, the, the, the notorious um, the Omsi trip. trip. Oh, that's a good one. We might have to tell that story. I'll give a brief rundown. Did they graduate last year? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. So yep. it was weird. They're adults now. Yep. 
That's so you can tell the story now. That's true. Well, so we went on a class field trip. I was a chaperone. Melissa was, she was running the show. I think it was her. And I think Gates was there too. Yeah, Caleb was also. And uh, this class had a lot of rough kids. And they, not even rough kids, but they liked to have fun. So they were uh, just really rowdy. And at some point, some one of these kids made a vague bomb threat and freaked everybody out. And so they pulled us all into a room and like told us, hey, you guys are on thin ice. We're going to kick you out of here if you guys do anything else. And, you know, within five minutes, we um, hear some kid come running in. And one of the girls from our group had stabbed another kid with a fork in the belly. And um, then another kid tried to steal a stuffed animal and... Um, the, the guy's like, hey, you can't take that. And he's like, oh, no, I, I brought this from home. He's like, bro, it, it says OMSI right on the bottom of it. And um, so we had to set up a bus that was like kid jail. And we put all the bad kids on the bus. I got to be the prison guard at the kid jail, and which was fine. I actually, I like you, I like the troublemakers. Um, and yeah, I hung out with them on the bus and it ended up being great. We slept there. So it was, it, they didn't kick us out. We actually got to sleep there. But yeah, it was fun. Our, the guy who was uh, running the show looked just like Moby. Um, and that was cool too. It was overall, it was, a, it was a good trip. But Iwako goes hard. Well, and they, when I was becoming a teacher, my student teacher, Mrs. Papasusi, told me that I had to do two things. I had to go on a field trip and I had to do an art lesson with paint. And when you're a teacher, those are two of the most precarious moments. So we did fruit printing that kind of got carried away. And then I can't remember where we went on our field trip. It must have all gone pretty well. But I remember that was that school in Dorchester. And I remember the day I was being um, evaluated by my college professor. I had gotten in early and somebody had come in and they graffitied on the board a giant picture of male anatomy. And it said, suck my big, fat, hairy bits. And I had fourth graders coming in. Mm -hmm. I was 19. And I'm like, they did not tell me what to do in this case in teacher school. I do not know. So I got a bunch of that butcher block, like butcher paper, Mm -hmm. and I just covered the whole thing up. And then I had to go pick the kids up. And so I dressed really nice because my supervisor was coming in. And the little girl in front of the line, she said, I don't feel very And she threw up all over my stockings, all over my shoes. And of course, I'm like, and and I'm trying to come in and I'm trying to do this lesson and it turned out great but it is funny when you're a teacher you don't always know what to do in circumstances like when your kids get kicked out of ONSI it's like I did not have a plan for this but bus jail was a very genius solution yep you do what you gotta do right and so teachers do have that skill of thinking on your feet and then you have a great story like I'm sure if we had had a formal graduation there would have been an they would have alluded to the OMSI trip for yeah, sure. Because, probably. you know, it's funny the things we remember from school. It's not usually the, you know, riveting social studies lesson. It's Unless often the shenanigans Trudeau. that we've gotten into. Yeah. When you were in high school, what's what's a shenanigan memory you have? Uh, the one that always comes to mind is I got expelled um, for making a MySpace profile for Mike Garcia. Who was the who was he a was Spanish a coach teacher and also and a, coach, a wrestling yeah. coach, maybe? Yeah. Um, and it was horrible and I was an idiot kid. Um and I 
I just I don't even want to tell that story actually. Yeah, yeah. But um, but we that all was have the most, that was the most trouble I ever got into. And, and I guess I asked because I always like to say, and you turned out okay. Well, that was the thing. I, my senior project was uh, the senior slideshow, like multimedia presentation. And I, I when I started getting this podcast together. I had a flashback memory of standing in front of the senior project judge board and talking about what I planned on doing with my life. And I remember telling them, I want to be in multimedia production. I want to create things to make people happy and to entertain people or to teach people things. And I, was, and I meant it. And I wasn't bullshitting, but um, I did nothing to pursue that goal. I just immediately like got the grade, went on, and started studying psychology. Um, and it is like, almost like I didn't even, I just forgot that I wanted to do that. And then, so when I started doing this and I'm like getting into garage band, the, the program, right, I'm right. like, oh yeah, I already know how to use this because I was into it in high school. And it's like, I, it, it was almost like that event where I got in trouble for putting myself out there because I was wrong, which you sh- I should, I deserve to get in trouble. The uh, that was not the issue, but it it scared me so bad for expression. Like from that, uh, from that moment on, I just couldn't. I I basically didn't even post anything on social media for ten years, other than just like pictures from of a sunset or something. I just I couldn't even come. I couldn't do anything because I'm just like somebody's gonna take it wrong. It's gonna sound wrong. Like because you don't want to be boring. You gotta like give it some edge, but. Um, yeah, so this is a big move move for me to just be like, fuck it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try something that sounds like it's going to make me happy. And it's working. And it's not that scary. Right. And I think for me what scares me is that the negativity, like people, you know, the haters going to hate kind of thing. And it's just like you've got to prepare yourself for that, mm-hmm. you know, because people like to be critical. You know, they can be unkind and they can be cruel. And I think that that's unfortunate. That makes me yeah. sad because that's what's going to make some people not that have a really amazing gift to share. It's going to deter them. And mm-hmm. so then those people kind of win. And that makes me a little bit sad. Me too. And that's why I, I, I want to be a proponent of free speech, even for people who don't have good things to say. As much as I hate that, um, I, want, I want them to have the right to say wrong things. I I need I need people to be able to talk and express themselves or we're just going to end up going nowhere as a civilization. And just and I think that that's the other problem is a lot of times then that goes underground and then it becomes dangerous where everybody has the right. Like like we said, through discourse is education. And if if you don't feel comfortable saying something, then. If the thing that you're thinking isn't correct, like simple things, like like I remember when I was in fifth grade, I thought the word F-A-T-I-G-U-E was pronounced fatigue. Uh-huh. And if I hadn't felt comfortable to say that, nobody would have been like, no, no, it's fatigue, honey. Mm-hmm. It's fatigue. And so there are all sorts of like misconceptions that we have. You know, and, and if you if you don't, like like I often, you know, ask my kids, I just say, you know, you need to communicate with me, you know, like if you're transgender or whatever. I'm open. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to, if I do something that is not okay, you need to say, hey, man, that's not okay. Don't not say anything and then go in the hall and go, oh, God, you know, she's she's anti this and that. It's like, no, knowledge comes from correction. 
Exactly. And if we don't feel comfortable speaking our truth, then we can't dialogue about it and develop empathy. It's like, I may always feel a certain way, but now I understand more. Mm-hmm. Or I may think I'm right, and then after I talk to you, I'm like, wow, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, you yeah. know? And that's really where human evolution comes, you know? That's how we grow and yeah. become better as people and more kind and caring and compassionate. So I, I really think that that's, that's a great motivation. Yeah, I think, I hope more people will adopt that perspective and just be ready to to get into it, yeah, figure stuff difficult out. Difficult conversations. Difficult conversations. And people give a lot of lip service to that, and then when you really get into it, they're like, <laughs> yeah. Like, well, because you have to kind of let go and yeah. be willing to hear things and try. Just, I just do my best to be as offended as little as possible and to offend others as little as possible. Well, and I always like to think that. I always, there was an expression we used to always use when we had staff meetings with Betty on, and she used to say, assume best intention. Nobody's here to be mean. Let's just go in thinking that. And so when we disagree, no one's attacking you personally. No one's thinking that you're a terrible person. They just have a different point of view than you do. Their intention is to make our school a better place. And you might not agree with them, and that's okay. But don't take it like it's a personal affront to you. Yeah, because you're I coming from the same place. Great advice. She was that's such an excellent one. advice. That's actually my my number one like foundational relationship advice too, is like if you can approach your partner as if they're always doing their best to make the relationship good, or, and that gets hard when you know they're not. But the at least if you can just try to adopt that perspective of generosity, um, then you have a chance. But if you can't, then there's no chance. (laughs) Yeah, especially in a love relationship. I think that's Mm -hmm. really important because like, even like when you get divorced, at some point there was something about that person that you loved. There was love there. And I think sometimes that's sad, like when we lose that, because just remembering that everyone is just doing the best they can with what they have to work with. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is really great. So could this become a profitable situation? How does one make uh, money from a podcast. Yeah, I think it could um, eventually. Get sponsors? Is yeah. it all in advertising? I is think that advertising the... would be mainly where the revenue would come from. I'm not so deep into it that it even matters. Um, I think I'm under $2,000 invested. Oh, no, I got this MacBook, so maybe over 2000 now. Yeah. But, but you can use that for lots of different things. Yeah. But still, not huge. This would huge. be great for your kids' projects, too. I keep saying that. I kept saying that the whole time I was putting it together so, so I would get less less in trouble for being out here all the time. Yeah. Um, and now if you make it a business, you can write it off. The, I, I want it to be a business because I want it to be good. And I really think that in order for it to be good, I have to be able to put a lot of effort into it. And that takes time. Yeah. And, you know, I got to pay my bills. Yeah, but, yeah. It's tough. All right. Well. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. So you have Thank given me you. hope about our about our education system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really and like I said, I'm one of a troop of so many fabulous teachers. Teachers I know are it. great people. They're they really just are great people, and we've all had them. And so our lives have been touched in lots of different ways. But thank you for giving me a platform and, you know, just for doing this for our community and for the extended community because I think the most important thing right now is to bring our country together and to bring our world together is just this, just sitting down and talking and providing people with a place for their voice where they feel safe and comfortable. So thank you. That is a beautiful sentiment. I think we'll end on that. Thank you so much for coming, and I uh, uh, look forward to seeing you next time. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, everybody. 
Bye. 